1: Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs.
3: This is the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Now, here's BK and Ferrario.
4: Yeah, no, I mean, listen, you know, the thing is, and I was probably a little early in announcing that he was going to throw in a sim game. Um, you know, we schedule a lot of things, and I mentioned a lot of times it's just fluid, and it's fluid for a lot of different reasons, none of which are overly problematic. They just are fluid, and, and uh, so with Miles, we're going to continue to be cautious um, about how we return him to ramp up his intensity because just that. You know, he's got a side here coming up again this weekend and we'll continue to progress it from there
1: okay it's time it's time to have a serious conversation about miles michaelis with mark saxon who's filling in for alex ferrario who by the way welcomed in a beautiful baby girl last night huge congratulations to our guy alex ferrario
2: and his
1: wife he said that everybody's happy and healthy it seems like everything went very successfully it was around one o'clock last night so huge congrats to him he has some very very long days ahead of him so we have mark saxon filling in today Saxy will be in again on Friday. JR will be in with us tomorrow. We begin with the Miles Michaelis conversation. Saxy, you've you covered think, this team for a long time. <laughs> you've been around baseball teams for years. Is it is it time for me to be worried about what's going on with Miles Michaelis at this point?
2: I I don't know. I mean I think just we 've seen this this movie before, right I mean it, and it 's not just the cardinals i th- 'm sure people around here think that it is it always sounds like it 's oh it's it 's a hangnail, and then you know two weeks later, the guys getting surgery, so yeah, his arm is
1: literally removed from his
2: body <laughs> so there is an element they do downplay initially and the reason all teams do that is they don't want to have to go back on it like if they say oh this is pretty serious and then two weeks later they say actually it turns out no it, it, it was all right it was this other thing that's minor then they look really stupid right and nobody believes them so they typically do this i thought it was interesting that clip we just played with with mike schilt because his words were all saying oh we think it's minor but he just sounded really depressed <laughs> <laughs> to me.
1: There's been a tone shift on this, yeah. in my opinion. So he, he had that bullpen that he threw last week and they announced that he was spe- scheduled to start the simulated game yesterday. And then suddenly he wasn't starting the simulated game yesterday. And people asked about it naturally because it's like, okay, well, this is a guy that had forearm surgery going Mm -hmm. into last year. And now he's getting pushed back further and further. What's going on, Shilton? He basically says like, yeah, you know, we just, we do this. No, you don't. Not very often. It's pretty rare that something like this continues to happen if there's nothing going on. And so that's why I said the other day, I'm at like a four or a five on a scale of one to 10 And my concern meter with Miles Michaelis, I'm getting closer to like a six now, and it's not that I'm concerned he's not going to pitch this year. It's more of a concern that I don't know if he's going to be ready for the start of the season now because we're less than a month away from opening day. And if he's if he's still getting pushed back and the next time that he's going to throw even a side session is this upcoming weekend. He basically has three weeks at that point to get ready for the season. Is he going to be able to build up the innings in that short of an amount of time? I don't know.
2: I would tend to doubt that. I just think that there's—it's just so silly to to accelerate someone's timeline in spring training. So they won't do it. And so, likelihood, probably, you know, as we sit here on whatever today is, March second, that he won't start the season on time. I would say that if I were, you know, if if you're taking it sort of from the thirty thousand uh, feet view what does the fact that he just had his flexor tendon repaired say about the health of his ulnar collateral ligament otherwise known as the tommy john Mm -hmm. because often those injuries while separate injuries affect each other and so what will happen there in the long run nobody knows but if it is painful what you hope is that that's just him tearing through the scar tissue of the surgery or something along those lines as he tries to throw harder And it's not indicative of some other pain for some different reason. So it'll all pan out, but I agree with you, whatever the team's saying, add like two points of urgency (laughs) concern.
1: Uh, John Mosaylock was on with MLB network radio earlier today. It is Cardinals takeover on MLB network radio today. Here's what he had to say about miles Michaelis.
5: Well, we're just being cautious. Um, He's had some shoulder tightness and we're just not trying to rush it. Obviously we still have a, a month left of camp and, um, you know, fortunately for us, we can be patient. You know, the other good news is we do have some depth there, though. So, um, you know, we have a lot of guys competing for the rotation, and you know, I hope Miles isn't slowed or, or delayed in any any um, real time. But even if he is, I think we still have some protection as we think about opening up the season.
1: That's where the transition comes in. I don't think he's going to be slowed down, but even if he is, we're good. We're fine. That's where I start to wonder, like, OK, I think he's probably going to be slowed down a little bit. And when he said he has shoulder tightness, that's the other thing that had some flashing red lights in my mind. OK, so he had a flexor tendon, which is in your forearm yeah. issue last year. Now it sounds like it's tightness in the shoulder. And some of that just might be recovery from these right. side sessions, bullpens, whatever. Not trying to get um be alarmist about it. But I mean. That's all connected to the elbow. And now you start wondering, like, is there something more here? I don't know the answer to that. The Cardinals are the only ones that do. And they may not even truly know yet how significant this is. On the plus side, Saxy, in the Cardinals' first three weeks of the season, they do have four off days. So basically, the fifth starter is only going to actually be needed, necessary, Probably twice in that first month of the season. So if they did have to make up the first month without Miles Michaelis, and I'm not saying they will for sure, but if they did have to go down that path, it might not be quite as huge of a hit for them. As it otherwise would be at another portion of the season, because there are so many off days built into the first month of the year.
2: Yeah, that's true. But also keep in mind two things: early in the season, you're not going to see starters going as deep. Well, there is that. There's that. So you're <laughs> gonna you'd have to worry about if you're only going with four guys and skipping, you know, that fifth spot, um, having you use your bullpen more than you would. And then the second thing is, I think teams are going to be more than ever uh, cognizant, very strict about keeping an eye on their pitchers' workloads coming off a season in which they threw, you know, what, 60 innings if they had a full healthy season. Mm -hmm. So that's a little different too. And so they may not want to go to a four-man rotation even with a bunch of off days. I wouldn't be surprised if they simply plugged in Daniel Ponce de Leon or something like that, who, by the way, could easily do a good job in that role. But you can't, you know, this is worth talking about because you cannot... Under you know value the the impact of losing a Miles michaels for a stretch of time, this guy a couple of years ago was a Cy Young caliber you know contending pitcher. He's a really good pitcher mm-hmm. when he's well. So. Um, It's a big storyline to watch. I agree.
1: Yeah, you've got Ponce. You've got John Gant. Alex Reyes can maybe not get a starter's workload over the full season. Mm -hmm. I don't think that you're going to be there yet. But if you get him a couple of spot starts and he gives you three or four innings, you could make that work. They've got options here, and that's a positive. The question is, do you feel comfortable with what you have right now? And I'm guessing this is what they're asking internally, or they have at least asked it internally. Jack Flaherty, KK, Wayno, Carlos Martinez. Those four, I think, as of now, are locked into your rotation. Now it's about that fifth spot with those guys that I previously mentioned. Are you comfortable with that? Do you think that this Michaelis situation will be fixed by May, early June at the very latest? Or there is a guy on the outside externally that is currently available in Jake Odorizzi. The Cardinals have made a move like this before with Kyle Loesch, where it was midway through spring training. They added him to the rotation. It ended up being a really good move for them. I don't know what Odorizzi is is looking for. There have been reports that it's somewhere around three years and $45 million. If that's still the cost, I don't think the Cardinals are in on something like that. But if he brings it down, if it ends up being a one-year prove-it type of a deal for him so he can hit the market again next offseason and try again, do you think that's something the Cardinals should or would consider?
2: Yeah, I absolutely do, and and it didn't surprise me when I saw that you know that <clears throat> name had surfaced. This guy's a really good pitcher, you know, when he's when he's when he's on, and he'd fit right in so easily on this team. He's from the area, um, and by the way, when you think about a, a guy being willing to take one of these prove it kind of contracts you know, as we get into spring training here and he doesn't know where he's going to be playing next year, I would think that'd be a pretty good incentive to get going here pretty soon, especially for the guys like, you know, Odorizzi's reputation, like really loves baseball. Mm-hmm. Like you want to be down there with your guys, you know, pranking each other. And also just like building up in a normal routine where you are ready for opening day. He waits what much longer. He's not going to be ready for opening day and that'll cut into the payday. So I'm thinking if I'm his agent, I'm, I'm a little more... um amenable to those kind of deals at this point
1: yeah I would think you're starting to get to the point where it becomes almost necessary right. if, you, if you're not getting those two three four year offers out there right now I don't know that they're coming anytime soon unless there is a significant injury to one of the contenders in their rotation it's probably the only way it could come your way and even then it's still probably going to be a one-year deal so right
2: but that probably will happen I mean how many you know throughout baseball spring trainings happen where some superstar doesn't get hurt. Sure, it's going to happen.
1: The question is, if you're him, are you willing to take that chance? Right. Because it, it probably will happen, but will it happen in late March, April, May? Uh, that's the question that is is hard to know for sure. And if you're Oda Rizzi, I would think you want some certainty. Right. Where am I moving my kids? Where right. Where is my family going to be uh, spending the next calendar year at a minimum, right? Right. I would like to know those things right now. And he doesn't have a whole lot of certainty in his life right now. Well, I guess a lot of us don't have certainty, but it I would think that you would want to get that sooner rather than later.
2: Right. And if you're the Cardinals, you would rather pay him twenty million for one year than forty five for three, obviously, right? Of course. Um and so they could go high if they've already, you know broken through what they were originally willing to spend, right? By by getting by taking on Nolan Arenado. So now the payroll is X where it was totally different number. One year, I mean that what that's that's nothing to the the long term operation of this team. So if they could get him on even a very high AAV contract, I'm not saying Trevor Bauer forty five million, but much higher than maybe he, it would show that he's worth. Yeah, maybe even like sense. a
1: qualifying offer, right? Correct. $18, yeah. 19000000 million, dollars, if that's what it takes. If that means that you can actually compete at a really high level this year the way that you expect to – I think that becomes worth it for a team like the Cardinals. With Mark Saxon and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's 11-11, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers an officially licensed Rolex Jeweler. We've got a great show for you guys coming up today. Lots of baseball talk with Mark Saxon and We've got Jim Duquette, former Major League Baseball general manager, coming up at 1 o'clock. Coming up next, though, former MLB manager Brad Osmus. He's a three-time gold glove catcher. I want to ask him how impressive it is that Yadier Molina is still doing this at his age and how much different is it to be a manager in 2021 compared to what it was 20 years ago we'll talk to Brad Brad coming up next on 101 ESPN
3: this is the BK and Ferrario podcast now here's BK and Ferrario <laughs>
1: Saxton, I'm Brandon Kylie. it's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN, very happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. We got Brad Osmus, former Tigers and Angels manager, three-time Gold Glove catcher as well joining us here on the show. Brad, thanks so much for the time today, man. How you doing? I'm doing pretty well. How are you guys doing? Uh, doing very well. So I wanted to ask a former catcher about what it is that Yadier Molina is doing right now because... It's amazing to me that he is still able to do it at such a high level, at such an advanced age. Uh, Brad, when you watch this guy, what what comes to mind for you as you see what he's still able to do on the baseball field? Well, there's
6: no question he can still do a lot physically. Um, But for me, the most important thing, and I'm I'm guessing uh, for the Cardinals as well, is the experience he brings, the calmness he brings behind the plate, uh, the calmness he brings when he goes to the mound and he talks to some of these pitchers in, in big situations because Yachty's, you know, he's basically uh, done it all. He's, he's been to the world series. He's been in playoffs. He's been in, he's been through long seasons. Now he's been through a shortened pandemic season. And I just think the experience is by far uh, the most important thing that he brings to the table.
2: Brad, I just want to follow up on that a little bit. What, as a guy who competed against Yachty, you know, for several years and in, in when you were in the national league and, you know, I imagine you know his brothers through through Anaheim, um, and I just wonder what what do you think is unique about Yadier Molina as a player? As you know, there's this debate you know here and there about whether he's a Hall of Famer. Do you think he's a Hall of Famer? And if so, what are the traits that make him stand out from other very good catchers? Well, he he's definitely
6: a Hall of Famer, and I know you're going to have the doubters who say that he doesn't have the offensive numbers that. Uh... Uh, that you that are necessary to be in the Hall of Fame, but I, I mean, keep in mind. First of all, he's a catcher, uh, so he's going to play fewer games. The offensive numbers are are, are not going to be as stouty, and certainly the wear and tear of squatting behind the plate, uh, 135 games a year, uh, is going to impact the offense as well. Uh, I think the biggest thing he brings to the table again is the defensive side. The experience goes with it, and you can't really measure it. You know, recently they've started to measure pitch framing, and he was very good at that, especially. Uh, Early on, uh, sometimes that deteriorates with age, but uh, the impact he has in calling a game and directing the game and directing the pitchers and really being uh, the de facto captain, um, they don't win the way they've been winning in St. Louis for the last 15 years without Yadier Molina.
1: We're talking to Brad Ausmus, former MLB manager here on 101 ESPN. Brad, I wanted to ask you about another guy that I think probably is going to be a future Hall of Famer, and that's the new Cardinals third baseman, Nolan Arenado. I don't know how much you've managed against him, but certainly I would imagine you know what his reputation is. What are the Cardinals acquiring in Nolan Arenado? I As you can probably imagine, this fan base is pretty thrilled about the fact that they've got him in the hot corner now.
6: Yeah, he's a, a superior talent. I, I, you know, he's He's one of the best defensive third basins I've seen, and uh, he's one of the best offensive third basins in the game today. He, he, he plays both sides of the ball. He brings an in intensity. He has a flair that's going to be entertaining for the Cardinal fans, uh, and he just makes them better. Uh, You've know, you got two solid rocks on both corners of that infield right now, and uh, uh, the window's wide open for them to go after a championship.
1: It's interesting you say that because for so many years, we've talked in St. Louis about acquiring that big bat. And then when they got one in Paul Goldschmidt, it was about acquiring that second big bat to get it behind him in the order as a manager, uh, especially going up against a lineup like the Cardinals have right now. How how much does that change the way that you're able to pitch to the Cardinals lineup now that they have two guys that are really fearsome in the middle of the order with Goldie and Arenado?
6: Well, you know, it's not like Goldie's going to get better pitches to hit because there are not hitting behind him. I think that's a little bit of a myth, especially nowadays, the way pitchers attack hitters with a lot of off-speed pitches. Uh, you know, back, in, back 15, 20 years ago, if you had someone protecting you uh, behind in the lineup, you might see a fastball or two more. That's not going to happen with these two guys. Uh, they're both going to be pitched to, to, unless the bases are loaded and you absolutely can't walk in a winning or tying run. They're going to be pitched to get to be gotten out. They're not going to be pitched around in any way.
2: <clears throat> Brad, we're also this is more of a generic kind of baseball question, but we were kind of curious. You know, comparing when you started as a player and how managers, you know, a manager's job was versus your final gig as a manager. As you look at that that long stretch of years, how has a manager's job changed, particularly with? the way that front offices, you know, produce so much data now and, and, and send it down to the clubhouses, that part of it, and also just in terms of the, the power dynamic, I guess, within teams.
6: The, you know, the, the relationship between the front office and the manager slash coaches um, is a lot more intricate now than it was when I first got to the big leagues in the mid-'90s. I think back then it was. You had the front office, you had the on-field staff, the front office uh, with some input from the manager, put the the team together, and then it was the manager's job to run the team in the dugout and the clubhouse, and of course on the field. Uh, that is not the case anymore. Now there's a lot of collaboration. There's a ton, a ton of information, and uh, you know, to some degree, obviously the the manager and coaching staff have to decide what information is really pertinent and valuable. Uh, but the it's it's the translation of the information from data to baseball speak, that is probably the most important part mm. um, of that chain.
2: Yeah, that's interesting. And do you, do you think that uh, basically what's happening now is they're just running teams in a smarter way than they ever have? Or do you think something's lost where, you know, a, a guy who'd been around baseball for 40 years, a manager, let's say, could just sort of do it his own way based on, you know, what he sees and what he feels?
6: I think I think in a, a perfect world it's a little bit of both. Uh, there's no question that as humans, you know, we're, we're going to make mistakes that numbers can tell us to avoid. Mm. But to think that numbers are infallible, I think, is a huge mistake. You know, you can you can make numbers say a lot of things you want them to, um, but they're they're not infallible. Uh, I think it just what it does is it keeps us as humans honest. You have to be aware of them. Um, but there are times where, you know, what. sometimes there are times where the the manager, the coach has a little bit more information than the computer does in terms of, uh, the player's been used, been playing a bunch of, uh, he's tired. He's got a little bit of a nagging injury, um, or he just needs a mental break, that type of stuff. So uh, the numbers are very important, but they're not infallible. And, And of course, humans, we are infallible. All,
1: oh, we are fallible. Sorry. <laughs> I'm also curious, Brad, kind of branching off of that a little bit. One of the things that's come out under a lot of scrutiny, one of the people that's come under a lot of scrutiny here in St. Louis is the hitting coach. Not that that's unique to St. Louis, but how has that job in your mind changed over the years? Because, I mean, we hear Jim Edmonds on the broadcast here in St. Louis all the time talking about it from a former player's perspective, but then you have the numbers that are thrown into it as well. How much has the hitting coach's job changed, and what can those guys do now for players that maybe they could or couldn't have uh, 20 years ago?
6: It's changed a ton. First of all, most teams have at least two hitting coaches. It's become such—it's the most intensive— coaching position on the staff uh you, you you usually have two nowadays some even have three uh you're talking about being in the cage all day long with t work with uh soft toss you have early batting practice you have better a uh, regular batting practice um but even beyond that you have again a lot more information on the scouting side of it and you have to prepare that for your players you have to know the other pitchers you have to know their tendencies you have to know the data on them and you have to be able to present it to them. There's a ton more video than there was twenty years ago when I first got up. video was just in its infancy at that point. Um, it's a it's a difficult job to do. I will say this though, a lot of these younger players now are coming up through high school through college with some of this information already. They've got this 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 video information. they've got this, uh, uh data that they go to you know they're going to training facilities mm-hmm. that have the technology and they have the data and they are a lot more open to it when jim edmonds and i were playing against each other there was limited video there were some limited video um but there wasn't all this data it was more about feel you'd get in the batting cage and, and the hitting coach would tell you what he saw and you you'd tell him how you feel and it'd be a little bit of a back and
1: forth it's interesting that you say it that way. Brad, I know you're a very busy man. We appreciate your time today. Before we get you out of here, you said earlier you think the Cardinals are maybe in their championship window right now. Given how stacked the National League is, do you think this Cardinals team can actually compete for a championship this year?
6: Yeah, I, I, I mean, I absolutely do. Um, it is, it's, 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 baseball's going to be tough, but it's, it's, I'm still, we're still rolling out of this pandemic thing, and then no fans in the stands early in the season uh, may have an impact on teams' records, at least in the
1: first half interesting brad thanks so much for the time man appreciate you hopping on with us today all the best to you and we'll talk with you again soon all right thanks guys Absolutely, that's former brad our former tigers and angels manager brad osmus three-time gold glove catcher as well joining us here on 101 espn i always find it interesting talking to guys that have been in that chair that have seen kind of the transition and osmus certainly has done that he started playing in the bigs in 1993 he was a manager from 2014 to 2019 so he's He has truly seen from 93 to where we are today what the difference is between the managers then, the managers now, and the hitting coaches then and the hitting coaches now.
2: Well, just like who these dudes were when he came up because I started covering baseball and it was like, you know, these old, you know, dudes like Jim Leland Mm -hmm. and and, uh, uh, Lou Pinella and guys who just did it their way. If if a front office had come to him with, you know— you know, a stack five inches thick of all this data on their players, you know how quickly quickly that would have been in the garbage can (laughs) you. So it's just totally different now. And I think that's what he's getting at. I would venture to say, now what you've got are former players you know, very quickly after their careers enter in, in the dugout managing. And it's just a different system. And they're they're essentially, in many cases, just relaying what the front office once done on the field. Totally different. I would guess if you ask most guys, they'd say it was a lot more fun in the old days. Sure. It used
1: to be a manager's <laughs> game. Now it's a general manager's right. game. Like, that's, that's the way that it's changed. And the other thing about that is, like, he mentioned that these young guys that are coming up, I mean, Nolan Gorman has sp- spoken about this yeah. a lot. He's using VR. Yeah. He is like everything that is available to him to make him a better hitter. He's using that to the best yeah. of his ability. That's funny
2: because that was the first uh, name that popped in my head as he was talking because Gorman's got every gadget. Mm-hmm. He's got the VR headset, the Win VR. He's been to Driveline. He's used ra- – I mean, he's been to so He's used Driveline. I mean he's been to drive line. So he he's really intentional about getting better. And I think that's a good thing for this team.
1: Absolutely. And it's just it's totally different than it was twenty years ago. These guys that are coming up are now almost a part of the system as much as the general managers are. They see what is out there and available to them, and they're using it to make them better hitters or at least more informed hitters. Um and I, I find that really interesting. With Mark Saxon and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next. The Texans and Seahawks are really trying to convince everybody that they are not trading their quarterbacks. We'll tell you the latest coming up next on 101 ESPN.
3: This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
6: Keep hearing from the Seattle side, Seahawks are not going to deal him. They have nothing in the works. Russell Wilson himself does not expect to be dealt right now. But Wilson is watching the situation closely because he wants more in their push for a Super Bowl. He wants to see himself better protected. Some future plans in place. If he doesn't feel like he's getting that in the next weeks or months, he could make this even more difficult up the ante publicly. So we'll see. Maybe that opens a door for the Bears.
1: That was Jeremy Fowler on ESPN earlier today. The Seahawks are doing everything they can publicly to make sure that we all know Hey, we're not trading Russell Wilson. That's not something we're interested in. The Texans seem to be doing the same, basically suggesting we're not even picking up the phone. You can call us all you want. That phone's going to be ringing off the hook. We're not touching it. We're not willing to trade those guys. Now, you can believe them or disbelieve them, but that's their, that's what they are suggesting. Vegas seems to believe them. So there's some odds that came out yesterday and the Seahawks are the overwhelming favorite to be the team where Russell Wilson plays to start the 2021 season. Same thing for the Houston Texans with Deshaun Watson. They are viewed right now as the favorite for where he will play going into next season with Mark Saxon, Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. Saxy, are you buying into what these teams are selling, or do you think this is going to go the other way and by the draft, we're going to start hearing something differently?
2: I'm buying in on, on Seattle. I, I think, I just think that one's going to work out in the end. Um, not as sure about Texas, because is that a well-run organization? No. It doesn't seem no, to be, right? <laughs> and so you wonder whether, for okay, what were the Rockies saying a year ago about trading Nolan Arenado? Okay, what did we learn from that here locally? A superstar player can make it very difficult on a team to keep that player simply by opening their mouth when the reporters are around. It's very simple. Mm -hmm. You just explain what's going on, and people are going to sympathize with you because you're the guy they see on TV that they love watching in the home runs, right? Same thing with Deshaun Watson. They're going to side with him over management, so the team could be forced to to move him. If he doesn't think they have the pieces there or they're not going to build for him, he could force that, I think. I think Russell Wilson, this is more just me based on what I know about their personalities. I think he'll probably try to get some things more that he wants. And if they don't give him better protection, by the way, He should leave. That's ridiculous the way they block for that guy. It's
1: wild. I can't believe that we've arrived at this place where it's like, hey, 10 years in, Russell Wilson's still asking for better (laughs) offensive linemen. Yeah, maybe you should just go ahead and listen to the quarterback (laughs) and say, yeah, okay, we'll invest a little bit more at that position. Tanner, are you on the same wavelength? Do you think that these guys are both going to be in the same spot going into the year?
7: Yes. I think Wilson, I'm pretty confident still that Wilson will stay in Seattle. Watson is more of a question mark for me. But if I'm the Texans, I'm saying hey, if you're going to retire, retire. We still have the rights to you. We'll just hold on to you. And, and then you can kind of flip the narrative on the player because a player comes out to the media, this organization stinks, and then he reti- He doesn't show up to camp. And then what do we see? We, we see teams turn this around on players sometimes. And I think that's what the Texans are going to try to do. Whether that's successful or not, I don't know. But that's, that's what I would do if I were the Houston Texans. I
1: think that the Seahawks and Russell Wilson will try this one more time. I think mm-hmm. that they'll go through this upcoming year, and if things go well, if they win... I think Russ will be a long-term Seahawk. If things go poorly, I could see this time next year us having a more serious conversation where it's like, I think Russ is actually going to get traded. I do not believe that's going to happen this offseason. With Deshaun Watson, I find this really interesting because they've entered the Tyson zone down in Houston, where it's like, I will believe any story. You could tell me anything about what's going on down in Houston. Maybe true, may not be, but I'm going to believe it. Like It could be on a Reddit thread and it's some conspiracy theory about what's happening inside of that organization. I have every reason to believe that it's true based on the way that they have promoted a guy that was a team chaplain like three years ago. So I I think what could happen there, I hope this doesn't happen for the sake of any Texans fans that are listening to us right now. What I fear for them is a similar situation to, to what happened last year with, or two years ago, I guess, with Jadevian Clowney where they wait, 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 think that things are going to get better, and then, oh, we're in training camp. Genevieve Cloudy Clowney's serious. He doesn't want to play for us on the franchise tag. we got to trade him for a third-round pick or whatever. Or with DeAndre Hopkins, where it's like, wait, 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 wait. Oh, he's going to get traded, and we're going to get nothing in return for him. If the Texans decided to trade Deshaun Watson prior to the draft, they could get a massive haul because it includes picks from teams right. that have a ton of draft capital in this upcoming draft that changes once that deadline passes. Those teams no longer have the same draft capital because this year's capital is gone. Those picks have more value without a name next to them. This is strange to say it this way, but it's true. They have more... More value when you get to make the choice than when the other team is making the pick for you. So the Texans could run into a situation where they want to play hardball with Deshaun Watson and wait until it gets closer to training camp. But by doing so, the only person you're really screwing out of a better haul here is yourself. So I think that if I'm the Texans, the draft is a deadline for me. If he's traded by then, end all be all, it's done. If he's not, I think that if you're the Texans, you have to hold on until this time next year, regardless of what that means for your team, regardless of what that means for Deshaun Watson. I think you've got to be in this for the long haul if you go that route. So
2: you told us basically that you think they're outright lying when they say that they have no interest in trading because when you say between now and the draft, that's what? A, a month. month. Yeah. A month, so if they're not talking about it, they're probably not going to get a deal done in a month. I guess it could happen quickly, but... Um... Yeah, I guess you even see draft day deals. Maybe it'll be be the deal that goes on five minutes before the draft and they get, you know, somebody's number 11 overall pick, right? Maybe. I just—those things, if you're waiting that long, that seems
1: crazy to me. Like, are you waiting for them to be on the clock to know if your guy's there?
2: Leverage them, put the pressure, yeah. I guess,
1: but if I was that other team, like, let's say it's the— Uh, Carolina Panthers that they're looking to trade with, right? If I'm the Panthers, I'm like, the only person you're leveraging is yourself because once my pick comes on the clock, it's actually you that's wasting this opportunity, not me. I'll go take somebody in this draft, and I'll figure it out next year if I need to, but you're the one that's missing out on this draft capital right now if you don't decide to make this deal. So I, I think the Texans might actually put themselves into a worse situation if they wait all the way up until draft day. So to answer your question, do I think that they're lying to us? I think they're telling the truth, actually. Okay. And I think that's part of the problem. Like the they facts, shouldn't be telling <laughs> the, the <laughs> fact that they're telling the truth is very problematic. <laughs> in that if if Deshaun Watson's serious and he very much seems to be serious, you're really going to just like let this thing go. Yeah. And you're gonna you're gonna wait until you get into the season. It reminds me, and I'm not making this comparison just because it's in the same city, but it reminds me in some ways of the James Harden situation, where Harden came into Rockets camp and the Rockets were like, Yeah, we're willing to get uncomfortable. Well, how uncomfortable? Like, uncomfortable enough for this dude to be at strip clubs the week before the season while you've got all these protocols? Because that happened. Uncomfortable enough for him to gain, like, 40 pounds in the (laughs) offseason and come in completely out of shape and disinterested and throwing basketballs, like, out of bounds? Because that all happened. (laughs) And eventually they weren't comfortable with getting uncomfortable, and they traded him. That's going to happen eventually with Deshaun Watson. It's just a matter of when, not if. So if I'm the Texans, the thing that I need to do, as much as this is crazy that it's happened, but I think you have to trade him. By the draft, if you're the Texans, it's it's the best way forward for them, and it's their own fault they're in this situation. It never should have got here.
2: Now I just want to see this go down because I want to see Deshaun show up to training camp forty pounds overweight, <laughs> think, like with a big pot belly or something. <laughs> be, that could wear the on his game thing. Yeah, right. That could be slightly detrimental to his game.
1: I would say so. <laughs> um, I did want to ask you guys because so I'm not a huge fan of this guy, but. Uh, Colin Cowherd yesterday put out a his top 2021 quarterback uh, tiers, right? Mm-hmm. So who's the top tier in the NFL at quarterback? For him, it's Russell Wilson, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, and Josh Allen. Those are the top four quarterbacks in the league right now. I did not mention the name Patrick Mahomes. I did not mention the name Deshaun Watson. He also included on his tier two of NFL quarterbacks, Jimmy Garoppolo who the 49ers appear to be doing everything they can to get rid of and to upgrade from. So that seems a little bit insane to me. I'm curious for you guys right now, who would be in your top tier? Like if you were lo- making a list of the, the top of the line quarterbacks in the league right now, Tanner, who would you have on that list today?
7: So the four in my tier one are Patrick Mahomes, okay. Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, and Russell Wilson. I have Watson in tier two right now. I have Watson tier two, Jackson tier two, and Allen tier two. I don't I think after those three then you're down to a tier three. So I, I do there's no doubt in my mind Mahomes is the top tier. That's insane.
1: <laughs> the idea that this guy is actually going on a nationally syndicated radio show and saying Patrick Mahomes is not as good as Wilson Brady Rogers or Josh Allen. We just saw that game. And so, Patrick Mahomes destroyed him.
2: So, are you saying you can get attention by saying provocative, outrageous <laughs> things? I'm part of the That's problem outrageous. Here. I outrageous. I apologize. You got, I mean, wait, how is Patrick Mahomes not on that list? It's insane. It's he, absolutely he's insane. MVP to me. front runner every single season. He, I mean, he, I think if you were to like just isolate his abilities versus Tom Brady's, you'd probably say he's a better overall quarterback, but. I would give it to Brady just because he just beat him. Yeah. So I have for sure Mahomes in there. I have Brady, Rogers. I would put Josh Allen in there just because I, I thought last year he was just on the cusp uh-huh. of being in that group. And then at the end, as he made those improvements, and he also has that special little thing that the Bradys and the some of these guys don't have. He can really truck and take off down the field and, like, make a bad play, a good play. I just think he's got all the elements and the talent is just off the charts. So and I've, I think he'll get better. It's funny
1: because I've got the same top tier as you do, Tanner. Um, Mahomes, Rodgers, Brady, Wilson. I do not have Josh Allen there yet. He would be on that second tier for me he's Along He's
2: Cuspy. The, I agree with
1: he's that. He's really close. I think he's I, – I wouldn't be surprised if after next season he's there. Mm-hmm. Deshaun Watson's another guy that I have in that second tier with Josh Allen – I think Justin Herbert deserves to be there now. Oh yeah, He's I, I coming.
7: thought about it, but I to me it was so. It's still early to say he should be tier two, but like I was looking at like the teams and going through quarterbacks, and I went, "Wow, there are not that many great quarterbacks in the NFL." It's there's a lot, a lot of, of good ones. Mediocrity. There's good ones, and there's a lot of mediocrity. But Justin Herbert did it as
2: a rookie with not necessarily like the greatest offensive coaching staff, Mm -hmm. potentially. What happens when he gets a really good quarterback guy there? I I don't know. I think there's something. I always liked him at Oregon. I thought he was going to be good.
1: I was surprised he was that good. Um, in his first year in the NFL and when I saw him, so that first game that he started was against the chiefs and they told him 15 minutes before, Hey, you're starting because Tyrod Taylor just got poked in the chest with a needle and his lung collapsed." collapsing. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> so, uh, I was really impressed in that game because he came out and he was slinging it immediately. Yeah. That offense looked completely different than it had with Tyrod Taylor as a starter. So I I'm in on him. I am 100% in on him. I want to be on the ground floor of the Justin Herbert hype train.
7: One name that I nearly put in my second tier was Baker Mayfield. I thought he looked really good last year. And, well, compared to his previous seasons. You think seasons. on the
1: same level as Josh Allen, Deshaun Watson, and Justin Herbert?
7: So here's
2: the question. Is, Isn't, is Baker Mayfield an elite quarterback or is he an excellent game manager? That would be my question. And I would put Garoppolo in that game manager sure. category.
7: That, well, I, again, he didn't make my Tier 2, so he probably would be my Tier 3 quarterback, and I would put him probably with Jimmy G there. Yeah, I do think, look, I don't completely understand moving on from Jimmy G in San Francisco. He was hurt most of last year. He got you to a Super Bowl. Granted, I say that, and I know Jared Goff got the Rams to a Super Bowl, and you look at where he is. <laughs> Uh, to me, Jimmy G's still a good quarterback. I don't I mean, think I don't think, he, I don't I think, think, think he's, he's tier fine. two. Yeah. I think he's tier three, and I think he could make San Francisco a competitor in the NFC West for years to come.
1: His problem is health. If he could stay healthy, I've got no issues with him. But he can't seemingly stay on the field. So that's that's my biggest issue with Jimmy Garoppolo right now. There, to your point earlier, Tanner, I think there's a lot of pretty good quarterbacks in the league. You have less of the, oh my God, how is that guy a starter than you ever have before? But yeah, you're still always gonna have four, five, six elite level quarterbacks in any given season. That's just that's where we are in the league now, and it's all it's kind of always been that way. With Mark Saxon and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Questions and answers coming up next.
3: This is the BK and Ferrario Podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
1: 65780 is the air comfort service text line from the 618 guys did you watch the illinois game last night what'd you think about the illini dominating michigan on the road without their best player tanner championship bound. i know you're an illini fan I'll let you get your takes off. I want to remind you, earlier this year, they did lose to my Tigers. I don't remember
7: that. That did happen. No, it didn't.
1: So let's
2: just keep that in the well, back of our mind. Google it and show him. He doesn't remember. No, I, I
7: did the old men Men in black technique where I held up my little stick and it flashy. flashed. That's
2: why I think you need a little reminder.
7: No, I, Should we I'll, get like I'll, a okay. box <laughs> score? I'll, I'll, let's get some highlights. We can pull okay. that I'll continue, I'll continue. I'll continue to forget time. that one. That's probably their worst loss of the year. Uh, No, but yeah, they played really well last night. I've had concerns about them defensively at times this year where they have defensive laps and Coburn can be caught in the pick and roll. They were excellent all night last night. It was incredible. And without Desumu, I mean, he comes back and I'm starting to question what's going on with him because... Well, I mean his face is broken. Yeah, whatever, put a mask you on. Put a mask on, you can play through it. Tanner
2: doesn't that's an excuse My to goodness. Tanner. I mean if 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 its leg's not broken, if he's not yeah. in the hospital, he thinks he should be out. Exactly.
7: There. Toughen up, Buttercup. Get out there and play. No, but I if he comes back and he's what he has been, where I think he's the only player averaging I think it's twenty five and five a game, if I'm not he's mistaken. He's amazing. He, Illinois has a shot to make a run. I I don't know if they could beat Michigan. They've they can lost beat it. anybody. We I, just saw that last night. They yeah, can beat they anybody, can beat with anybody. If, if they're number everything, four in the country. If everything clicks. But I, I still think Gonzaga. I still think Michigan's better than Illinois. I think it was just one of those nights for Michigan and Gonzaga. I think there's three teams that are still ahead of them. I think they can make a run to the Final Four. If they run into those three teams, they could be in trouble.
1: I think they are. There's nobody in the country that they can't beat. Nobody. They, they could beat anybody in the country on their best night. They are one of the top 10 offenses and one of the top 10 defenses in Illinois is in the country right now, according to Ken Palm. They're amazing. And they have two of the 15, 20 best players in the country. Kofi Coburn is probably one of the 20. And Ayo Desumu is maybe the best player in the country this year. So I I was amazed at what I watched from them last night, I didn't think that they had that in them without Io. I I didn't think they could do that. This is one of the best teams that they just went up against, and they crushed them. They beat the living hell out of Michigan on their home court. That that's one of the best wins in all of college basketball. Hey, it's this good year. to be
2: good to be peaking in March, right? I would think if you're them peaking. Yeah, in, yeah.
1: <laughs> this is the right time to. They are the anti-Mizzou. <laughs> Mizzou was peaking whenever they played Illinois earlier this season. And for Illinois, it's the opposite. They're they're peaking right now. It's that they are absolutely one of the teams that can win it all this year. And there are very, very few teams every year that you can actually say that about.
2: And for my part, I may be a little bit out of my depth on this particular conversation. But I will say that it's just so fun to have, you know, these top teams in the area. I'd love to see Slough get in the dance. I'd let, you know, Missouri make a run. So that's just a lot of fun when you have teams around here that you can see. I don't know if you can go to their arenas yet, but watch them on TV. Almost, mm-hmm. you know, almost every night, one of them's on. And yeah, then, it's meaningful. Yeah, it's meaningful, and it's 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 good for kind of the game in this area. Six
1: five seven eight zero is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers. Uh, let's get into this one, guys. Who would you like to see as the Patriots quarterback for next season? Is there anybody that immediately comes to mind? For me, it's been the same thing all offseason. If the 49ers are actually listening on Jimmy Garoppolo, I think that it makes all
2: the sense. Boy, in the world. that mo- does make a ton of sense. I mean, doesn't Belichick love love the guy? He
1: There was the story that came out after the trade that Belichick specifically negotiated with the 49ers because he wanted to find a good landing spot for Jimmy G. And he knew that Kyle Shanahan would make sure that he was in a good situation. So that's, that's the guy that I would be targeting if I'm them.
2: Yeah, Cam Newton just seemed like a fish out of water in that system. I actually thought he did a pretty good job. I thought it would go worse than it ended up mm-hmm. going. But um, I love the Garoppolo idea. I think that just makes too much sense, which, you know, it's logical. So that probably guarantees it will never happen. But.
1: 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Let's get to this real quick. So Ian Rappaport just tweeted this out. Jets general manager Joe Douglas just told reporters that he's going to answer calls pertaining to potentially trading quarterback Sam Darnold, though there's no firm decision on which way it'll go. You've been covering teams a long time, Mark. When a general manager publicly says we're taking calls on a player, yeah. there's no turning back from this. What, what Joe Douglas just said basically was we're trading Sam Darnold this offseason. Right? I think
2: so. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. What do you think the um, interest level is in a, in a Sam Darnold? Are, are there teams who are going to think he's he's our guy? He, he's good enough to be the guy to get us to the Super Bowl, or is he more spot filler, wait till you can draft a quarterback? get the job done guy because I you know I covered USC when he was kind of on the horizon and he was a big big deal but then again he was in high school at the time so (laughs) it's interesting because I think I'm
1: a bigger Sam Darnold fan than most people are in terms of his value yeah
2: just because he's been in the worst possible situation can you even judge do we know who what he is at this point no and he he might be terrible (laughs) he he (laughs) might be really really bad
1: um I think he very well may though have a Jameis Winston-esque career path where Jameis for years was the laughingstock down in Tampa Bay he had that really productive although also through 30 interceptions season two years ago and then goes to the Saints and I think this offseason, somebody's gonna convince themselves to sign Jameis Winston as a legitimate starting quarterback. I wouldn't be surprised if you see something similar from Sam Darnold. If he goes to a good situation, I still think he can be successful. Now, what does that mean? What's the peak for what he can be? I think like an above average quarterback, a solid guy. He's got all the arm strength that you could possibly ask for. Um but it's it's about getting him to the right situation. Where is that?
2: I would say probably New Orleans. So you think he could be Matthew Stafford?
1: Maybe be a little that below little,
2: that. A little below that? Yeah, okay.
1: yeah like uh, the f- 16th best quarterback in the league. I think okay. that's probably the ceiling right now for Sam Darnold. So go Tanner, up below. I know, yeah, <laughs> there's something similar to that. But more like high risk so when it looks good it's gonna gonna look great yeah I think that's probably what you see from Darnold
7: yeah I I agree he's probably a middle of the pack quarterback but I don't know if I want to trade for him for him to be my starter if I'm going to acquire him it's going to be look you're in a terrible spot but we want to see what you have you're going to sit behind someone maybe learn for a year that Mm -hmm. might make a lot of sense Mm -hmm. sit behind big Ben learn from him for a year see what you have if you like what you see in camp then you can re-sign him because I believe his deals up after this Mm -hmm. year if I'm not mistaken that's what makes it interesting too he's only got one year left so he has to go either prove it as a starter or prove it as a backup and then re-sign for whatever his value is then
1: yeah i think pittsburgh makes a lot of sense for him as well the nfc and i don't know if they're going to be that selective with a guy like him i think new orleans i think it's one of those teams that is moving on from a veteran quarterback either now or in the near future one of those teams makes a lot of sense for him hell maybe atlanta Maybe Atlanta is a place that you could look at that as well with Matt's, uh, Matt Ryan at the back end of his career.
2: Yeah, that contract's running out soon, right? 65780
1: is the Air Comfort Service text line. Last one for you guys here for questions and answers from the 314. Saxy, is it a concern that the Cardinals are not putting up very many runs in spring
2: training so far? I would say it's a concern. If this were the end of you know the games and they didn't look offensively really in sync, I, I would be a little more concerned. But right now, I think these guys are coming down there, and they're, they're just not ready for the stuff they're seeing. And you're probably seeing that around baseball. Um, my, my goal for this spring for the Cardinals, by the way, is for them to go like 0 and 30 <laughs> I want them to tie every game.
7: <laughs> to never win funny. or lose a game. <laughs>
2: right. Give no, no input into how they're going to do it.
7: Yeah, I have no concern on the offense. I mean, we haven't really seen... Besides that first game, we haven't seen the full lineup or a lot of regulars in there. There were a couple in there yesterday. I think there's only three or four in today. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I have no concerns yet. It's only game two. If we get halfway through spring and they're still not scoring, then I'll show some concern.
1: By the way, the game has been pushed at, pushed back about 15 minutes. There was a little bit of a rain delay down in Jupiter. Uh, if you were curious the lineup today, Tommy Edmund is leading off, batting second or excuse me, playing second. Paul DeYoung batting second today, playing short. You've got Nolan Arenado batting third. Uh, Carlson is batting cleanup. Austin Dean getting in the lineup in left field, batting fifth. Kisner sixth behind the plate. You've got Lane Thomas in center today. Justin Williams is your designated hitter, batting eighth. And John Nagowski batting ninth and playing first base. KK is on the mound for the Cardinals today. So we'll have more on that throughout the day. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service Tax line. Coming up next. Adam Wainwright said out loud yesterday something that I think Cardinals fans have been feeling internally. We'll talk about it coming up next on 101
3: ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
1: With Mark Saxon, who's filling in for Alex Ferrario today. I'm Brandon Kylie. That's Tanner Hendrickson. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. So if you're a Cardinals fan, you've probably been feeling pretty excited about this team. The ratings would certainly indicate that Fox Sports Midwest drew its highest spring training ratings in four years on Sunday for the opener of spring training. That's awesome. So people are watching and it was a 50% increase over last year's spring training opener. There's a reason for that. It's because this feels different. There Mm -hmm. is a different level of excitement about this team because of Nolan Arenado, because he is the great white Buffalo that everybody's been waiting for. Yesterday after the game, Adam Wainwright was asked about, you know, what was it like to be a free agent? And did you ever really give consideration to going elsewhere? Had you thought about what that would be like? And I thought Adam Wainwright's response to that question also gave a little bit of insight into how we are all feeling about the team right now. Here's what Wayne all had to say.
2: What is interesting is every now and then this spring training, I'll see somebody that that I know their name, you know, just from being here forever and and say, hey, how you doing? How's your family? Well, how's offseason, blah, 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 and have normal conversation where and I walk away with that conversation going, if I had gone somewhere else. I wouldn't have known anybody. I wouldn't have known so and so's family and what their offseason was like. It would have been a total different start. Now, so I'll be honest. Part of that seemed kind of interesting to me. Seemed kind of uh, a new adventure. But I'm, I'm, I'm liking the new adventure we're having inside the same clubhouse at, at the moment. That's that seems like a cool one for me.
1: That last part that he said there. This is a new adventure inside the same clubhouse. That's kind of how I feel personally watching the Cardinals right now. Yeah, it's, it's mostly the same club. Like, if you look at last year's team compared to what they have right now, it's not all that different. You lose Colton Wong, you lose Dexter Fowler, but you bring back Wayno, you bring back Yadi. It's really one guy that is truly different, and that's Nolan Arenado. But it's also kind of refreshing that they're actually giving the young guys a chance. You're going to be able to see what it looks like to see these young outfielders. Dylan Carlson's going to play every day in right field this year. Let's see what they've got out of Tommy Edman at second base. That's refreshing to me. So it's it's kind of the same clubhouse, but it feels almost like a fresh start for a lot of these guys. And I feel like Wayno put that better than I ever could. And hearing that yesterday from him kind of reminded me of why I have so much more anticipation for the Cardinals this year, really than I have any season since probably 2015.
2: And I think that's justified. I mean, they, they when you get a, a four or five war player in two out of the three off-seasons with Goldschmidt and Arenado, then that is something that—it it is different. It is a different-feeling team the minute they got the superstar. Mm-hmm. The other thing I that comes to me when I listen to Adam talk is, why? how many times have we seen a superstar player leave a place, go to another place, and just be awful for two or three months? It just seems like that's the more common pattern than the other way. And you got some insight into that when you heard Adam talk there. You go to a place, a new workplace, where you don't know anybody. You know, there's no comfort there. You don't know how they, you know, what they do medically. You don't know what they do in terms of training techniques. So, you could see why guys like Yachty and Wainwright were so intent on staying here. Their comfort zone is built in. Everybody in that complex knows what they need to get ready. And so that's a when you're a professional athlete, those things are huge to you.
1: Well, think about it yeah. even
2: from our perspective, right? Yeah. Or
1: if you, you're listening, you've probably had an experience where you've changed jobs. I know I when I moved out to Kansas City, it's like, okay, uh, where where in the world are the restrooms? What's the key mm-hmm. that I need to be able to get into this area as opposed to that area? Who do I go to whenever I'm trying to figure out my tax situations, right? Like there's there's a city tax here. What, what do I do for that? Um, all of these different things that you don't even think about when you're like, oh, I'm going to accept this new job. They start adding up a little bit, and maybe it's a week, two weeks, a month that it takes to be able to truly adjust. But that's an adjustment period. And the other thing that you know about with all of these guys, there's so much about that clubhouse, too, that's a part of it. It's an ecosystem. And mm-hmm. so when you're a guy like Wayne or Yachty, you're a significant part of that here in St. Louis. What's it going to be like when you go somewhere else and you you view yourself as a leader But you kind of have to earn that in another clubhouse. That's got to be a little bit different for them, too. So it it always made sense for both guys to be back here for all of those different reasons.
2: Yeah, I will say in baseball, there's a a social system that rewards longevity. So an Adam Wainwright had he walked into, I don't know, let's say just say the Cleveland Indians clubhouse. They would have almost—they would have definitely bowed down to him for having, you know, 15 years in the big leagues. That would have been automatic. He would have gotten a good number. He'd have got a good spot in the locker room. The weird thing about being in a baseball kind of ecosystem is how incredibly socially stratified it is. Anywhere from the best player on the team all the way down to the fringe guy who was like a minor league invite— it's just enormous how differently these guys are treated. So that uh, also goes into it, right? Is Yadier Molina, he doesn't have, he doesn't, he hasn't banked goodwill if he goes to the New York Yankees. They're going to judge him on every at-bat he has. It's like he's starting new. He does it here, and they understand all the great things he's done. So all of those things go into the psychological aspect.
1: So that's one side of things with the older players on the Cardinals. The other side of things, there was some news for the younger players in the organization yesterday. Major League Baseball. I can't believe that we're doing this on March 3rd, but here we are. Major League Baseball announced yesterday that AAA is going to start its season about a month later than expected. It was supposed to start on April 6th. It now looks like that's going to be May 6th. So teams are going to set up alternate training sites, once again, similar to what they had last year. And this is exclusively for AAA. The younger guys, the AA, single A guys, they were already expected to be down at training camp after the major leaguers left. So that way they could get set for their season that's also expected to start late. That was already previously announced. This is all about AAA. AAA. John Mosaylock earlier today was asked about this, and he was asked about how the delay of the minor league season could impact the Cardinals' decisions for their roster. Here's what he had to say earlier today.
0: No, I definitely think that's going to play into how we think about who goes north versus who can stay down here and get work. So obviously, um, with the Alt site not likely being able to have games and you're going to have a limited number of roster spots, you know, ultimately, I think some of, of... The younger players that could maybe benefit from development, um, it might make more sense to keep in this camp, or I should say the April camp.
1: That's really interesting to me because I'm trying to think of who immediately comes to mind, but I would think a guy like Nolan Gorman probably will stay down there to be able to stay at that camp Uh, because he's talking about specifically development. I also wonder what that means for if they do get an extra year of club control, the the options on Justin Williams, and it sounds like that's at least in play now. Mm-hmm. I wonder what this means for him, because if they can just send him down to Springfield and he's readily available to go back and forth between there and here, I would think you'd probably start the season with him down in Springfield so that way you can have more of your bullpen options available at the big league club. Does that make sense to you? Yeah,
2: I would think so. They, they would love to have that option with, with Justin Williams. I don't think there's any question about it. What's the interesting about this moving the AAA season back, that was a very poorly guarded secret. secret I remember talking to, uh, I did a feature on Zach Thompson back in January, and he was saying the rumor among minor league guys is that the minor league season's going to be pushed back a month. Uh, so they kind of all knew that. This interesting. Is not, this is not super surprising to people in baseball. You know, there's no real revenue generated from those games. So what's the incentive for the owners to get that going? Um and it's not a big deal. I mean, compared to last year, the development path of these guys, with so even if they play 100, 120 games, so much better. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they can make their impression and get to the big leagues. Last year, they didn't know how they could get anyone's attention other than the exit velocity off these inter-squad games, right? So, and that's kind of a shaky way to prove you're ready. So... It's huge. I mean, just to have games, who cares if it's early May? I mean, that's great for these guys.
1: Mo was also asked about how this delay of minor league seasons will affect guys like Libertor and Nolan Gorman specifically. Here's what he had to say about them.
0: I think you're making some assumptions I wouldn't make. Um, You're already assuming who's going to the alt camp, and that's what I'm trying to explain to all of you is that I don't know exactly what the makeup of that roster looks like today. Um, ultimately, there could be an opportunity to have some players stay back here and start participating in inter-squad games or playing maybe even someone like the Marlins, um, so getting you know game, real-life game experience. So um, that's why I think it's a bit premature to decide what the alt-roster looks like, and um, my advice to you, Brian, would don't make those assumptions quite yet and allow time to happen.
1: Okay, a little feisty today, Mo. Um, My guess would be if I had to make a projection here, Saxy, I think that you're going to see a lot of 40-man guys that are down at that alternate spring training site. I think you'll see... Uh, John Nagowski will be there, I would imagine. I think you'll see Justin Williams there. Austin Dean will be there. Guys that could readily be available to the big league club that they don't require other moves to be able to get them onto the roster. Those are going to be the guys that I think you'll see there.
2: So just below the taxi squad, because they are going to have a five-man taxi squad during the season, as I understand it as well.
1: Sure. So I I think a lot of those guys will be the ones that are down there. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that you're going to see... For example, a guy like Libertor, who is not on the 40-man roster, is expected to start in AA or AAA this season, I bet you he stays down in, in uh, Jupiter. I, I bet you you see Nolan Gorman stay down in Jupiter, so that way they can get more uh, almost game-like reps yeah, as it's opposed probably, to having them in it's probably in not that go. hard
2: to figure out. Look, go to baseball reference, look at their last stop. Both Matthew Libertor and Nolan Gorman's last stop was high A ball, right? Palm Beach. Mm-hmm. So. They're not going to skip double A. Guys don't skip double A typically. I mean, the very, you know, it doesn't happen. So even though last year was wiped out, they're going to touch double A, certainly triple A. So I agree with you. It was pretty obvious. How high did you get in the system when everything came to a halt? That'll determine where you go.
1: Basically, can you help the big league club in April? If
2: the answer to that
1: question is yes, then you'll probably go to the alternate site camp, so that way it's easier for you to be able to get to and from St. Louis. If the answer to that question is no, and maybe you're going to be a little further away, you're probably going to stay down in Jupiter to continue to get the development, to get game-like reps. That, that's what my assumption would be. So I think that's kind of what Mo, Mo was trying to get at there. Right. With Mark Saxon and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, we continue our countdown of the 20 most important Cardinals for the 2021 season with number 13, another relatively controversial player who I absolutely adore. We'll talk about it coming up next on 101
3: ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. And now the 20 most important Cardinals for the 2021 season. Yeah, there's a 40 man roster, but we sort of started late. It's BK and Ferrario. Number 13, Harrison Bader. Only allowed five home runs. Maybe he's given up six. How about six?
8: It's gone into right center and a home run and a long one off the bat of Harrison Bader.
1: We get to number 13 on our countdown of the 20 most important Cardinals for the 2021 season. It is Harrison Bader. Let's recap where we've started from. At number 20, we had Justin Williams. At number 19, it was Edmundo Sosa. Number 18, Henesis Cabrera. Number 17, Lane Thomas. Number 16 was Jordan Hicks. And then this week, we continued with Alex Reyes at number 15. Carlos Martinez yesterday was number 14. And we continue number 13, Harrison Bader. Let's start with this. I like Harrison Bader. I'm a Harrison Bader fan. He's a really fantastic defender in Mm -hmm. center field. He has absolutely crushed lefties in his career. He's an 855 OPS against left-handed pitching for his career. His problem is he's been awful against right-handed pitching, and he really struggles against the slider away consistently. Now, that's an issue for a lot of hitters in baseball, a lot of young hitters specifically. Bader in particular is pretty bad against that. He's now 26 years old, going to be 27 by the end of this season. He's no longer a young player. It's time to really start producing. Saxy, where do you view Harrison Bader at this point of his career with the Cardinals? What are realistic expectations for him going into this season?
2: I could tell you just from the Cardinals perspective, and this goes back three years or so, they view him absolutely as an everyday player, and they think there's more in there. They think there's superstar potential in there. Well, maybe not superstar, but all-star potential in there um, because of his athletic ability. This is a team that values athletic ability probably higher than just about any other team out there. So, and when a guy like that has that much ability, he's fast, he has fast twitch, whatever that is, if he figures it out, it can happen quickly. As you said, I mean, the reason I think it's so frustrating with Harrison Bader at times is we all see the same thing over and over, right? We Mm -hmm. see that, as you mentioned, it's a right-hander with a good hook. He just looks defenseless against that guy. And then also when you get to the playoffs in his first game in both the first game of both playoff um, uh, experiences he had were over fives with all strikeouts. Yeah, the golden
1: sombrero wasn't a great look in that in that first game against the Padres. So he
2: does it in some on. But again, you're talking about a guy with elites, elite defense in center field still at that level. And an above average bat, that's an everyday player. I think he's done enough to be to, to, to deserve that 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 name, that everyday center fielder at this point. I
7: agree. I agree with you. I don't I think he is an everyday player. I don't I don't think he has to hit to be an everyday player, too. Just because he's so good defensively, and to me, center field is the most important position on the diamond with shortstop right behind it, because a good center fielder can prevent doubles in the gap, and especially at bigger ballparks, like you look at a San Francisco, you look at a San Diego bush plays big too compared to if you look at the numbers mm-hmm. and you look at his defensive metrics he's like top five among center fielders and almost all of them i think last year he was sixth in range factor i mean he's taught an elite. i was looking at his numbers on baseball reference every year it seems like he leads in some category some lesser than others like double plays by an outfielder okay but i i think his defense i think his defense keeps him in the lineup every day whether he hits righties or hits lefties and i think Part of the problem is is if the guy's in front of him, like a De Young or a Carlson, if those guys struggle, then more pressure gets put on him to be more of an offensive factor than he really should be.
1: I think that's the key with Harrison Bader. It's less about him and more about the lineup around him when it comes to how Cardinals fans will view Bader. Mike Petriello was on with us a few weeks ago, maybe even a month ago at this point, and he spoke about this. I thought he said it really well. Here's what he had to say on the show.
6: If you were to look at any Cardinal last year who got any amount of decent playing time, and you just rank them by something simple like OPS. Okay, Goldschmidt was obviously number one. Brad Miller was number two. Harrison Bader had the third best OPS on the team last year. You know, I don't think he's a great hitter. He does strike out too much. The Cardinals offense is generally terrible. I think the best way I could think of to to phrase this is, I don't think Bader is the solution to the problems but I also don't think he's the problem. They just have not put enough of a team around him. And that's sort of why I thought he would be a good fit for the Mets because the Mets haven't had very good defense, but they've got a lot of really good hitters.
1: And I love that he brought up the Mets there because I think that's true. If the lineup around Harrison Bader this season performs better, if you get a really good year out of Dylan Carlson, if Tyler O'Neal able to put it together, if Paul DeYoung down the stretch doesn't fizzle the way that he has the last few years, well, now all Harrison Bader needs to be is a really great defensive center fielder who crushes left-handed, left-handed pitching and does okay against righties. He's got to be better there that I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm conceding that argument. Like that's, we all agree he needs to be better there, but he also let's not forget what he does bring to the tables. I think sometimes we focus a little bit too much on a negative about a player and don't look at some of the positives that they bring to the table. And I think that's been the case for Bader because of what's been around him or more specifically What's been lacking around him in the lineup this year?
2: I mean, I think that to, to Tanner's point about he he doesn't have to hit to, to hold us. Th- if you're an outfielder in Major League Baseball, you have to hit to, to have a lineup spot. But to your point, when you have a Nolan Arenado, when you have a Paul Goldschmidt, there's there's that thing about making your teammates better. Mm-hmm. And that's what it is. They're going to be on base a lot wherever Harrison Bader's hitting, whether it's 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth they're going to be on base a lot opportunities for him to drive in runs pitches to hit more pitches to hit but not only that but the thing you mentioned BK where he doesn't have to be that great offensive player he can be kind of a defensive specialist it's a lot easier to do that on a team that mashes otherwise and This team, by adding Arenado, is not going to be maybe a mashing team, but it'll be better. It'll be, they'll have two lineup spots that you're not going to have to worry about now.
1: Yeah, and you hope that Dylan Carlson can be a third. And if Paul DeYoung is the guy that the Cardinals are selling him as, and has been at times, frankly, in his career, there's your fourth guy. And now, okay, we're starting to build a deeper, uh, extended lineup where Harrison Bader makes a lot more sense. The other thing that I would bring up here, I think Harrison Bader in some ways is playing for his Cardinals future this season as well, because I think there's a chance, and I know people laugh at me when I say this, but I think it's true. I think there's a chance that the Cardinals would go to the negotiating table at the end of this season with Bader if he has a really good year. He is in year one of arbitration this year. They've got two more years of arbitration left. That'll take him through his age 28 and 29 seasons. If you're the Cardinals and he's good this year, and by good, I mean like 250 batting average, 320 on-base, 450 slug, 770 OPS. Solid overall, pretty good year offensively and still elite defensively. I would want to go to him and say, "Let's offer you a 4-year deal that buys out the two arbitration years and we get two of your free agency seasons." You're not going to have to break the bank for him, but like 4 years little less than $40 million with incentives in there. I think you could get something like that done with Harrison Bader and I think it could make some sense, but he has to make good on that this season. It's all about how he performs this year to be able to get there.
2: And I think he's got to prove to them that the, 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 the sort of Achilles heel we've been talking about here, that he's made progress there. Because one thing we learn about the major leagues, like if you have something you don't do well, What's going to happen? They're just going to get better and better at exploiting that. Mm-hmm. That's what happened to Yasiel Puig. It's why he hasn't played in two years, right? He, he couldn't hit the pitch they were throwing him, that outside breaking ball, same one that, that Harrison Bader's struggling with. So I do think he's got to show him a little bit more. And the other thing is talk, talking about like his strides and everything, there's still no excuse for the lack of outfield production this team's seen several years in a row. I think that should have been a little bit easier to identify and fix. Um, they let themselves get, get to a spot where they just didn't have a lot of options, especially in a year where they weren't going to spend a ton of money. So this is where they are. And I guess I would agree with you guys that Harrison Bader in some ways is probably the the most steady, the consistent guy out there that they think they, they know what they'll get. Whereas Carlson is a little bit up and down. He's he's still a rookie, technically. Yep. Um, O'Neal, he's fighting for his, His uniform here at this in St. Point. Louis. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely true. So we, even though he has a lot to prove, in some ways he has the least amount He's the prove. elder statesman of
7: this group. I think he's the oldest guy among all of their outfielders yeah, right now. Yeah, 27, I believe. Yeah. Which it, is unbelievable to think about. You see that
2: clicking and then those guys having great chemistry and suddenly it comes together. Or you could see it continuing on as this kind of worry. But you know what? It's where they are. And I agree that Bader deserves to be the guy right now
7: even if we don't see an uptick in offense let's say he does what the projections are showing which is 234 average and mm. all that i still think you have to keep him around he's so good defensively and if you can if you can add to the outfield whether it be in free agency or via trade this season or next he's so good defensively that he could be a great late innings guy to come off the bench that's why i don't necessarily i think Arnado goldie i think we see De young's offense better this year carlson i think is going to be a uh, great offensive piece for the Cardinals in the future. That's why I just look at Bader and I go, he doesn't necessarily have to hit. If he hits eighth or hits ninth in your lineup, you don't necessarily need a guy to hit. That's uh, that's why I view it that way. I just view his defense is so good, and he's in one of the most key spots in your out in in a defense in center field. That to me, him hitting. Not my biggest concern. Him being great defensively is my number one thing for Harrison Vader.
2: Also, defense is more than anything. It's a team aspect of the game, more so than most of baseball. So this this outfield is going to catch everything that pretty much any outfield could catch. I mean, you said it. These guys are all 25 years old. They're all hungry to prove themselves. They're all really good athletes. It's going to be a really tough outfield to get a base hit on.
1: 65780 is the air comfort service text line from the 314 314- for Bader? BK, come on, man. You're losing it. (laughs) I get it. I hear you. I I understand where you're coming from. Did you throw out the number? You said 40? Four years, 40, something like that. Um, Kevin Kiermaier has always been my comp for Harrison Bader. Tremendous defensively in center field. Kevin Kiermaier has never been a particularly good hitter. The Rays re-signed Kevin Kiermaier when he was going into his age 27 season. Sound familiar? They did so despite the fact that in his career thus far, he had a 735 OPS in his career. Right now in Harrison Bader's career, he's at a 725 OPS. They're not that far removed when it comes to what they've done at the plate. Kevin Kiermaier got a six-year, $53 million contract at that point in time. So about 10 years somewhere, or excuse me, not 10 years, 10 million dollars per year something around that range is probably what you're going to be looking for if you want to keep harrison bader around maybe a little bit less maybe it's eight or nine million instead of ten but that's probably around where it's going to be and in the next year maybe two the cardinals are going to have to make that decision and a lot of it's going to come down to what he does this season
7: if if you look at baseball reference they have their similarity scores right. th- at where they are in their career and where they are so far through their sure. career on that list of the 10 that are close to Bader, Jose Batista is on that so far through the 27. So, hey, four years, $40 million for that guy that could be Jose Batista. I would so take that. So you're
1: saying there's a chance. There's also, a chance. a little problematic. Michael A. Taylor and Peter Borges yeah, also I saw on that list. Names, we don't have to Bautista mention those.
2: But Bautista is there. Well, Bautista's they're all there. Comps it's one way or the other. Here's a little... Um, something to be concerned about with this idea of a long-term defense ages faster than Mm -hmm. offense. So especially for a center fielder, there's this weird thing as they've really studied it guys are just not good center fielders after age 30 now how many guys Torrey Hunter was so great right and then he hit 30 and just he wasn't the same guy look at
1: Lorenzo Kane up in Milwaukee right now still a very good
2: defender but now what he was the question I think
1: it's a fair question fair question to ask with Mark Saxon and Tanner Hendrickson I'm Brandon Kiley speaking of a fair question to ask what in the world is going to be the role for Matt Carpenter this upcoming season I thought we knew and then things seem to be kind of turning on the dime. We'll talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario
3: podcast.
1: Now here's BK and Ferrario.
5: I, I do think like Matt's looking at this as like, you know, almost opportunistic. And, you know, he's, he's excited about the challenge and, you know, he, he just feels really good about where this team's at and he just wants to be someone that can help contribute to it.
1: That was John Mosey on MLB network radio earlier today, talking about what the plan is for Matt Carpenter and whether or not he could fix it, fit into the second base mix with. Mark Saxon and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrari on 101 ESPN. I thought we had this settled. I thought we all knew going into the season, Tommy Edmond will be your second baseman. He almost assuredly will be your leadoff hitter at least to start the year and see how that goes. I still think that's going to be the case. Like if I had to predict what's going to happen on opening day, I think Tommy Edmond will start a second and will be leading off. I have less confidence at the, in that today than I did two weeks ago by a significant degree. Are my fears about that or concerns, questions about that justified in your opinion, Saxie?
2: I think here's what I, this is my read on the situation based on experience, how teams, so so Matt Carpenter is a really valued uh, veteran member of this team, right? They want him to have something to play for. So it makes perfect sense at the very beginning of spring training to talk up a really significant role, give him something to shoot for, you know, you want him motivated, um, on the other hand, but I do think internally the thought is that Tommy Edmund will get the vast majority of playing time at second base. Now, I will say this. Has Tommy Edmond really proven to the team or to the league or to us that he's absolutely an everyday player? I don't know. I mean, he, had a, he came up in June in 2019 and was really, really good, a huge part of why they got to the playoffs that year. Last year in what turned out to be basically a third of the season – Not as good, but overall, you know, you look at a a guy who has the skills to do it, but it is kind of nice to have a Matt Carpenter, you know, sitting there on the bench who, by the way, has more power than Tommy Edmund. Um, If he's right, he is going to get on base at a higher rate than Tommy Edmund. On the other hand, the better athlete, the better, the bigger upside is probably a Tommy Edmund, so you'd like to see that happen. But I don't think it's a bad fallback option to have a Matt Carpenter if he can kind of you know, improve some of the the internal metrics that we've seen. So here's my concern.
1: My concern is that you're right about both of those things. And this is them kind of placating Mm -hmm. Carpenter. Hey, here's the carrot. Hopefully you can um, achieve this goal, right? But what happens if you get three weeks into the season and your left field situation, it's looking a little cloudy, because Lane Thomas hasn't really gotten off to a big start and Tyler O'Neill striking out too much. You're not loving what you see there. At that point in time, and we've talked so much about how they've got all this runway and it's the young outfielder's time to shine, do you then say, you know what, let's try Tommy Edman in left, let's put Matt Carpenter at second base? That would be my fear because the goal this season, or at least one of the goals, is to find out what these guys are in left field because the excuse or explanation, you can look at it either way, and I think both are fair, for Tyler O'Neill and Lane Thomas over the last couple of years is there's just not enough of a track record. We weren't able to find out truly what they are in the amount of time that they were given. Well, you can't have that same excuse or explanation this year. Now it's there for them. It's there for the taking. And if you give them a few weeks and it's not working and you go to Tommy Edmond in left field, that seems to me like you're punting on what was the goal for the season after three, four weeks of the season. I hope they don't do that. That's my biggest concern about Carpenter.
2: Yeah, I I can see why you'd think that because when when has that ever happened? Last year, <laughs> right? So you know um, when O'Neill was struggling, we saw him in a lot in the outfield. We you know when somebody got when Dexter Fowler was out, we saw him a lot in the outfield. Mm-hmm. So that will be a constant sort of. Um, like uh, a possibility, I think, for Mike Schilt. But I agree, it's not ideal. For one thing, you don't really want to be switching guys outfield-infield too much because their arms can get hurt. You know, it's a very different kind of throw. Remember that with
1: uh, uh, Colton Wong when he randomly was playing center fields for the Cardinals and then he got hurt coming in on a ball because it's like, it's a
2: different position. Right, you really don't want to see that too often. I hope that's not the case. If Admin, they decide, is better in the outfield, I hope they leave him there. But the real question, I think, with Matt Carpenter is... Can he hit anymore? I mean, I just think that the que- you know, is he that guy anymore? I mean, when you hear other professional hitters talking about his bat speed is way down from what it was, you know, that's troubling. And so the bigger question becomes: Is he going to have a role on this team? And he's just got to hit better than he has either the last two seasons to hold even. Even a, uh, a, a a spot he needs to keep his jersey on. I think he needs to hit better.
1: One thing to keep in mind is that Matt Carpenter does profile the way that they like their leadoff hitters to profile. Here's what John Mozaylock said about what he's looking for in a leadoff hitter earlier today on MLB Network Radio.
5: Ideally, it's just someone who has a high on base percentage. It's it's someone that you know sets the table for your two, three, four, five hitters. So you know ultimately. I think that's what's going to probably drive our answer. And, you know, to your point, it could come in, you know, different sizes and shapes. And um, obviously, CARP is someone that has done it in the past. Tommy Edmonds has some experience doing that. And that may be where we settle, but I think we should remain open-minded and, you know, not be afraid to interchange lineups from time to time regardless of, of who ultimately gets that
1: spot. I think you're going to see some Harrison Bader. I know people don't like to hear this against left-handed pitching batting lead off for you. The question is against righties, and that's about 70% of your games. Who's going to be leading off. If there is a weakness in Tommy Edmonds game, it's probably his on base percentage. Mm-hmm. He doesn't draw a ton of walks. Right. He's a bat to ball contacts mm-hmm. type of a player. Matt Carpenter, on the other hand, if there's a strength to his game, even today he still is pretty good at drawing a walk. So what I just heard there from John Moselock it, it sounded like he was describing more of a Matt Carpenter type of a player yeah. than a Tommy Edmund type of player. And I wonder how, as you get into the season, if Edmund's still not taking a ton of walks, how that will play into their decision-making process as things play on.
2: Yeah, well, he's basically telling us about how the game is played now. Nobody runs. Sure. They don't run anymore because... Pitchers are so good at at preventing that. Catchers are so good at preventing that. They have these slide steps now. Their times are much better. Um, You'll see a few burners who they still can't catch. But for the most part, it's a bad way to try to score and win baseball games anymore. The best way is to wait, try to walk, get on base, and hit a home run. I mean, let's be honest. That's how baseball is played now. That's what Matt Carpenter does. So I think the question with Carpenter, if he's effective— he should be the leadoff guy. That's a, he's a exact. He is if you look up the definition of a modern leadoff guy. That's Matt Carpenter. He walks a ton. He's got just a top. has to hit. Just yeah. has to hit. Yeah, I mean. A guy, if you'll take 35 home runs from a leadoff guy, it's not wasted. You know, occasionally there's a runner on, right? You'll you'll take that. That's why I the mean,
1: Cubs went with Rizzo as right. a leadoff hitter for a while there. They were like, right. just put our best hitter up there, whatever. We'll right. figure it out.
2: And it's not even that new. I mean, Bobby Bonds used to hit home runs. You know, that 25 home runs, that was incredibly valuable. So he's at his best. That's what he is. He's a great leadoff hitter. And so I think, again, I think the real question is, can he hit anymore? If he can hit. That's a great spot for him.
1: That's Mark Sachs and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Former Major League Baseball General Manager Jim Duquette talked with John Moseleyock earlier today. We'll hear from him coming up in just about 10 minutes. But coming up next, let's dive into the Junk Drawer here on 101 ESPN.
3: This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario.
1: dive into the junk drawer here on 101 espn coming up in about five minutes or so jim duquette former major league baseball general manager will join the show talked with john Moselock earlier today he's going to join us in about five minutes or so but right now let's dive into the junk drawer guys i have some terrible news awful news
7: oh no what an
1: australian model by the name of anna paul has been banned from tiktok that's ridiculous because of her work with onlyfans.com now, according to... I'm going to call her Anna. I feel like we're on first name basis here. Do I need
2: here. to look these up, images of these things up? Well, Does that require... It's, it's your it decision. Is. If okay. you do it
1: on your phone, I would recommend going that route as opposed to the company computer. Okay. Um, <laughs> All right. So TikTok says that because of her work as a, quote, sex worker with OnlyFans.com, they cannot allow her to accrue a larger fan base over on TikTok. Now, a reminder, Anna Paul has amassed quite a following. She has 1.2 million followers over on TikTok. Now, according to her, everything is just... It's just her going about her day. It's not like she's TikToking anything that is um, salacious.
2: So she has different entries on OnlyFans versus... Yes, gosh. OnlyFans is a subscription model okay. where you get... Um, more of your bang for the buck,
1: if you will. Got it. Got Whereas it. over on TikTok, apparently the the TikTok side of things basically says, no 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 no. She is quote glorifying sexual solicitation over on TikTok. I I feel like that's what TikTok and Instagram are. <laughs> like yeah. as an entity, I feel like that's kind of how this works. And so for us to be like, no, that's the one that's got to be deleted. I don't know. Justice for Anna Paul. I think we need to get her back on TikTok. This is Do you think it's a First
2: Amendment issue, BK? Are you going to, do you think it should go to the Supreme Court?
1: I think we should. <laughs> I think Anna Paul should have her day in court. I think it is, is an absolute tragedy that me, I mean, people can't follow her on
2: TikTok any longer. I think her rights have been unfairly um, squeezed as well. Although I will say as a Whenever I grab my kid's phone My 12 year old He's always on TikTok So um, I gotta be I honest want him I, wa- watching I can't him? get into it I'm, I'm, <laughs>
1: okay. I'm, I'm done with social media stuff Like I I couldn't get into the Snapchat stuff And this is basically The newest version of Snapchat I, oh, I can you do Twitter
7: You couldn't even get into Snapchat? No oh, Wait Hold old,
1: Dude I'm washed up
7: well, No way
1: I can do Twitter I can do Facebook I don't really post on Facebook But I, I get it Everybody's on there So I understand why It's a significant platform I'm horrible on Instagram. Did Absolutely you just say you're terrible. old?
2: By the way, I'm washed up. If you're old, I've been dead for like 30 <laughs> years. So you're, you're not old, BK. These kids have like <laughs> these kids
1: 50 different social media Tanner. accounts, and they're all over all of them all day long. Uh, I
2: yeah.
1: I can barely keep track of one of them. I'm on Twitter, and that's it. That, like that's that's my lane. I know where my lane is, and I stay me in that too. lane. The
2: one that killed me was this is not social media, but Slack. Like trying to keep track of all the channels uh, so, at The Athletic. My God, that was overwhelming. I try to just stay group.
1: off of it, and then I'll check Ooh. it like once or twice a day. And if there's anything going on that I need to respond to specifically, okay, I'm, I'm here for you. I got you. But other than that, I'm off. Uh, you, you guys got to figure out the rest. The worst. Tanner, what do you have for us today, my man?
7: Alright, so I found this last night When I was looking just for a good Story to tell you guys for the junk drawer And apparently there's a technology And I can't believe this actually exists But they can take old black and white Photos, so say a photo from I don't know, the Great Depression, and they can animated so like you know what on your phone if you take a picture and you hold down on the picture it'll move for like i think the two one second or two from when you take the photo yeah you can do this for black and white photos now and guys i don't know how i feel because at one point i'm like oh this is really cool and on the other i go wow this is really creepy because i just saw like on this uh, article here a old black and white photo and the girl is a child all of a sudden smiles in this old black and white photo It's it's a little creepy. I I don't know how I feel about it.
1: I don't need this in my life. I I don't need my my great grandpa from 1875 blinking at me.
2: It's cool. So it's funny you say that because earlier today there's a guy who I follow named Ben Godar on Twitter, and he has been. Look it up, B-E-N-G-O-D-A-R, if you're interested in what Tanner's talking about, because he has a whole string of them. Charles Comiskey, Chris Vonder, uh, who started the Cardinals back in 1860-something. Sure. Um, cool Papa Bell, this one's really cool. It's just really crazy.
1: It's almost you- like an animation. Yeah. Like, it's, it's the it's real-life photo, but it, it looks... But it, real,
2: yeah. The cool thing about it is, like, you feel like you know them. You 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 get a sense of them more than you do if they're just sitting there. In a, I think it's crazy cool. Um, but yeah, a little creepy.
7: And, and when I saw the headline for this article, my thought was, oh, this has got to be like real cheesy, like in the movies where you see the like added smile and it's clearly not that person's. That's what I would have assumed. But they make a lot of. They actually
1: look I don't like real. It. It's almost like how like uh, Disney has gone from yeah. what they were seventy years ago to where they are today, where the stuff looks real. That it
2: does look real. That is very creepy, but also kind of cool. Branch Ricky. my god, so cool. All right,
1: with Mark Saxon and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, Major League Baseball General Manager Jim is going to join the show. I want to ask him. In a situation like Miles Michaelis, where you don't know for sure what his injury situation is, is that enough for this team to be able to go out and sign a guy like Jake Odorizzi? We'll ask that of Jim Duquette when he joins us coming up next on 101 ESPN.
3: This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
1: With Mark Saxon, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Former Major League Baseball General Manager Jim Duquette will join the show momentarily. Let's give you a quick update from Cardinal Spring Training right now. Though it's been a rough start today for our guy KK. Um, to start out the game, he allowed a triple, a single a pass ball went by Kisner. He walked a guy, allowed another single, allowed another single, ended up being down three, nothing to start things off in the first inning. So the way that they're doing things down in spring training this year, you're allowed a free sub. Mm -hmm. So what the Cardinals did was they brought out Rondon. He ended up coming in, finishing out that inning, got two straight outs. They ended the inning. That's the end of the first. Then the Cardinals came back out for the second and KK was back out on the mound for the Cardinals. It, once again didn't go particularly well for him. Um allowed a single um it it's just not it, it's not been a good start for no. KK today. This is not the way that anybody expected it to go and he was another guy that was pushed back a little bit. In total, he's allowed four hits, he has allowed two walks and three earned runs in less than an inning. So, yeah. that's not the way we were expecting it to go, not the way we were hoping it to go, but Hopefully KK is able to get back on track right now. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Jim Duquette, former major league general manager joining us here on the show. Jim, thanks so much for the time, man. How you doing today?
6: What's going on guys. How are you? Thanks for having me on today.
1: Absolutely thrilled to have you on. So I know earlier today on your show, you guys were able to have on uh, John Mozalock, If I'm not mistaken, it's uh, yes. Cardinals takeover on MLB network radio today. Uh, what was your conversation like with Mo? What was your biggest takeaway from him today?
6: Well, yeah, yeah, we we did have him on. He, you know, I think, um, you know, just kind of a, a sense. Uh, obviously, you know, coming off of last year and getting to the postseason the way they did, and obviously the offense wasn't as good. You know, so so we we kind of focused on that part of it first, and you know, not just Arenado. We know what he's going to add to the to the mix and how, how he fits both offensively and defensively. It just you know and improves the defense as well. You know, they, I think I um, think. You know, improving improving a club. Not sure who their leadoff guy is going to be, which is kind of obvious without Wong there. But I think Edmund probably has the 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 inside track there. But I think they're going to try out a bunch of different guys in that spot. I think what stood out to me is you know they have uh, more depth uh, overall in their pitching, than you. and just from afar, like all of a sudden, you know, Jordan Hicks is back and you know, looking at them from afar, we you know, we didn't know what the what the news was on Hicks until he pitched yesterday. Um that's a positive obviously. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously Reyes coming back. So so there's so many different guys that you know that that um you know, without really having to do much um on the pitching front. Uh it looks like they have, you know, plenty of depth to get through the whole season, which most teams when I talk to them has been a, a concern for them.
2: Jim, I'm curious, how how do you view the NL Central and the Cardinals' kind of place in there? It seemed like a month, month and a yep. half ago, everyone was talking about it. it's a disaster. Um, <laughs> right. Nobody's spending any money. They're going backwards. And now, you know, the Cardinals, you know, are able to acquire Nolan Arenado. Jock Peterson goes to the Cubs. The Brewers maybe gain a little respect. Do you think it is yep. kind of the um, Dodgers, Padres, and the Seven Dwarfs, or is there going to be some competition <laughs> in the National League?
6: I like, I like that. I'm going to use that. Um, the, the, uh, I would say that, uh, I I think that clearly those two teams in the West are, are really good. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think, um, Atlanta is, is really Mm -hmm. good. And then I think there's a next tier. Um, it's almost like a three tier uh, mix. So, so, and and I think the Cardinals are uh, ahead of the next tier in the central and they're in the mix with Washington, the Mets, Mm-hmm. Um, you could, you could throw probably the Phillies below them, but, mm-hmm. you know, I think that that, that that's the kind of the next tier guys, I think clearly the Cardinals in the central, uh, over the other teams, although, you know, like you said, Cubs and, and, and Brewers have made some improvements. I would not rule out the Reds, mm-hmm. uh, just, just because, you know, they had a solid year last year. And, and, uh, so, so I think, but I, I do think that, um, uh, you know, from a tier kind of a tier, uh, perspective, I think there's three. Three tiers there, and I would put the Cardinals in that second tier, which is still postseason bound. It's a matter of okay, maybe they got to make a a, you know a trade at the deadline to to get up to the level of the of the three big teams: Atlanta, LA, and San Diego. Mm
1: -hmm. What's the biggest gap there for you, Jim, between those two tiers? Well, yeah, I think I think the
6: offense still with St. Louis. Like you know, they were bottom of the of the of of Major League Baseball, not just in National League. Bottom of, you know, in in home runs, right? Twenty eighth in runs scored. Um, even though they had guys on base a lot, they they those are areas that you, you know just with Arenado, um, is plugging him in doesn't doesn't take you to top ten in the offense, you know, in Major League Baseball. And so those other teams are a little more well rounded, um, but clearly Cardinals have the pitching depth to compete. And, you know, they have the top of the rotation guy in Flaherty. Like, there, there's some things that, you know, you know, their bullpen, I think, is going to be really good. So they have a lot of the elements. I just think that they're missing, you know, and I, I think we'll see in the outfield how it shakes out. But that's the one that's most glaring. That At some point, they're going to have to make a trade for an outfielder from somewhere. A little bit more uh, certainty in their, pro- in their production.
1: Former Major League General Manager Jim Duquette joining us here on 101 ESPN. You can now hear him over on MLB Network Radio as well. Jim, I wanted to ask you, you mentioned that depth in the um, pitching staff quite a bit. They definitely have that depth. The one concern that I think is starting to creep in with Cardinals Nation is with Miles Michaelis. He he was pushed back with his throwing program. Now it sounds like the next time that he's even going to be able to have a bullpen is this upcoming weekend. And this is while he's coming off of that flexor tendon surgery that uh, uh, required him to miss last season. If you're in Moe's shoes, how, how do you push forward with this, with the unknown of what it's going to be for Miles Michaelis? Do you start looking towards a guy like Jake Rizzi or do you feel like they have mm-hmm. internally enough to be able to patch it over if Michaelis has to miss some time?
6: So if it's a short-term miss, that you know, I think they can kind of piece it together. Right, Ponce de Leon, they still they still have. It. He's been effective for them. I think you know you you can. I know Hudson won't be back this year, but you can piece it together. I think you could. I think they're stretching out Reyes, which I'm kind of curious what that's going to look like. We know he's had the health issues, so you have to be careful there. But you can you can I think find you know a, a couple of starts. From within, um, short term, you know, to help kind of guide Michaelis through a season. But what what you are concerned, and I think what you're what you're talking about is a a real concern. Like, how long is this going to linger? Like, you you need some kind of certainty or or reliability uh, at some point. So, I don't know if you're at that point yet. Um, You know, if if you knew, let's as an example, you know, uh, if you knew that he was going to be out for an extended period of time. Sometimes that helps make your decision, okay, you know what, I definitely need to go get Jake Odorizzi. Like I would not rule the Cardinals out in that. I don't have any indication that they're involved. You know, it seems like the Angels have been mostly um, interested. Um, but, but I do think that you know a lot of the, whether they're interested or not, well, it depends on the shoulder really of Michaelis and, and um, if they could get an answer on that sooner rather than later.
2: Jim, I'm curious how, how you think Nolan Arenado's production, his numbers, might be affected leaving Coors Field and, and playing half his game at Bush Stadium, which is probably slightly pitcher friendly versus hitter friendly. And what did you have a formula when you were in the front mm-hmm. office in terms of you know translating Coors Field a guy's numbers at Coors Field to you know sea uh, level numbers? <laughs> and has the right. the, the view right. of that changed over the years?
6: Yeah, well, it's so, it, you know, I think there was always that um, that feeling that the, the numbers were skewed or, or or inflated, as we know they are in, in cores. Like mm-hmm. if, you know, it's no secret when you look at Arenado's numbers at home, his OPS is over a thousand. Mm-hmm. And on the road, it's still pretty good. It's over 800. I think it's in the 850 range, somewhere in that range. It's not bad. It's not bad. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've seen enough now where guys have gotten better, even when they've left. Like, Lemay used the classic example, mm-hmm. but I mean, you guys saw it firsthand in Holiday, mm-hmm. right? When Holiday left Colorado, his numbers in St. Louis were really good. So I, I kind of view it like if you're a really good hitter with a good approach, which Arenado is on both, um, it may not translate to the way he did in course. You can't expect those numbers; those are mm-hmm. gaudy, ridiculous numbers that that you know <laughs> you don't put up in any stadium. But but you know, he played in. San Francisco, which is not a good hitters park, San Diego, which had, until recently isn't a good hit park. Dodger Stadium is not that easy to. Mm-hmm. So so he produced against some really good pitching, you know, and I think that that'll translate. His approach will translate, you know, in, in St. Louis and then in in the, in the Central
1: Jim I wanted to ask you cuz we haven't talked to you since that trade just to get your thoughts on what the Cardinals were able to get in Nolan Arenado. You've been around this game for a long yeah. time. You've seen a lot of third basemen. Where's he rank among the best that you've seen especially defensively?
6: Oh, oh. First off, it was highway robbery. Good deal. <laughs> like it, it I mean it was I mean this is Mo's bit finest work. I know he gets criticized sometimes. Uh, uh, a lot of respect for Mo over the years and the success that he's had, and the organizations had there. Because I mean, just the last ten years, being in the postseason seven times is that's hard to match if you look around the game. So that part, but but what Mo did, you know, in fact that they're, you know, Colorado's paying most of his salary this year, if not all of it, um, that's even more ridiculous. But Arenado, in terms of his defense, he's been consistently uh, the best defender at third base. Uh, over over anyone over machado even and I've seen a lot of machado too um in my day because he's here in Baltimore, he was here in Baltimore. and and I love manning, but I think no one no one um it has been better and and no one has been as consistently good year in and year out than no one on the defensive side, so that part of it and then any you know how much he helps the shortstop too by the way, He's gonna help the young a lot and I talked to Paul this winter about that he was excited, so so I think you know that's part of it that I think you you don't get a chance to see that as much with other teams on a day-to-day basis, obviously. But when you see him daily in St. Louis, I think you'll, you'll definitely appreciate how good it really is.
1: Jim, last question that I've got for you. We're talking to Jim Duquette, former major league baseball general manager. He's now a host over on MLB network radio as well. We talked earlier about um, Oda Rizzi and whether or not he could be an option here in St. Louis I don't know if you have any insight on this, but what do you think it would require to get a guy like that? Like what kind of a contracts do you think he's looking at at this point in the off season?
6: You know, it's, it's funny. Um, yeah. We were just talking about this uh, a little while ago and, and you know, for him and his, you know, his agents, they, they're an experienced agency. Uh, Excel and Casey close, they, they have maintained this value, a uh, high value. They were looking for three years earlier in the winter. It was around 12 or 15 million. And usually at this point in time, your your number comes down, right? Your years come down, your asking down, and that hasn't seemingly changed all that much. And I give them credit for showing that patience, and they're hoping that you know there's an injury out there, or team realizes they don't have enough pitching, so they're going to come and and, and face in you know, and, and sign Jake. But I don't. That's a stare down. That if I were an agent, I'd have a hard time swallowing I, I really would i like this is a basically a face-off you know between teams that need him and i i in the end think it's going to be a one-year deal that he ends up signing again um and you know it's probably going to be around i don't know 12 12 to 15 million something like that um that would be my guess uh, on a one-year deal and you know i don't know if there's any bad one-year deal out there personally from a gm side if you can get one-year deals i'd sign them all day with guys because they, you know, they need to they need to perform to get their next contract.
1: Especially this year, when you need innings, and it seems yeah. like there's going to be a lot of young pitchers that might be a little held back on innings. And if he's pitching for his that's next right. contract and he wants to up those innings a little bit, that seems like the best possible scenario on a one year deal, no?
6: Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and and I think that's that's what you try to take advantage of that if you're in the front office, you know. And the and the agents are like, oh well, everyone needs pitching, so we just got to sit out a little bit longer. So that that's where the stare down has been so far. Uh, but, you know, a lot of times teams are in the in driver's seat and they, you know, they're going to march other pitchers out there. And you even there are times I believe we have enough pitching, we have enough, we never have enough pitching <laughs> at the end of the day. So, so, you know, I think he's going to end up with a job. But I, I think that uh, as teams look at this and go, man, I, I don't know how we navigate for 162 games this year. We better find him. I think sometimes that comes a little bit later in the spring. And I don't know if Jake can afford to wait.
1: He's Jim Duquette, former Major League General Manager, now a host over on MLB Network Radio. Over on MLB Network Radio all day, it's the Cardinals' takeover. Jim, thanks so much for the time today, man. We always appreciate it. it. We'll talk with you again soon.
6: Okay, you got it. Be good, Mark. Thanks a lot.
1: Absolutely. As Jim Duquette joining us here on 101 ESPN. It's 116, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Let's play a game of more likely to happen coming up next, including more likely to happen. Daniel Ponce de Leon starts at least 10 games for the Cardinals this year, or the Cardinals signed Jake Oterizzi. We'll talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN.
3: This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
1: cardinals game john nagowski just went yard the no nog big father. deal
7: no big deal just the nog father doing what the no- right nog father now. does it's the baby oil, oil he puts on he talked oh, about is. it yesterday yeah
2: he has an aura
7: john
1: nagowski's gonna have some significant moments for the cardinals this year
7: actually let's start with this 65780 <laughs> is the
1: air comfort service tax line more likely to make a significant impact for the cardinals this season john nagowski or Justin Williams more likely to make a significant impact for the Cardinals this year, Nagowski or Justin Williams.
2: I'm going to go Justin Williams because he has a clearer path to playing Wrong. time because of the position he plays. Um, there's, we just talked about all the doubt in the outfield, right? They've never, they haven't had that guy. Um, I think this year, if they don't give him an opportunity, why is he on your roster? I would ask because he's been knocking at the door at triple a for years now. Um, Nagowski happens to play the same position as as Paul Goldschmidt. Not ideal.
7: I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Nagowski. I I don't know if Willie you, like you said, he's if he's not gonna make the big league club, what's he doing? I I just don't see Williams having that big of an impact. He's supposed to be the left handed bat off the bench in the outfield. I don't know if he's gonna be that. That's why I'm gonna say Nagowski, because he can't he told us couple weeks ago he can play a little outfield now he's not a left-handed bat but if he's hitting the ball maybe he could come in and not play center field for Bader maybe going to right and you move Carlson to center that's why I'm gonna say Nagowski yeah the
1: correct answer here is Nagowski come
2: on
7: what are we even doing
2: the, what is it the
7: nog
1: father he goes by no go with his teammates you know just any any nickname you want to go with he's, he's probably got it at some point in his career he's he is one of the more interesting player profiles on this team because he doesn't strike out. Like, if you're a Cardinals fan that was a fan of Whitey Ball, this dude should be your favorite Cardinal that you've never watched play significant amount of time in the big leagues. He never strikes out. He walks a ton. He makes contact with everything that he hits. And it's just a question of does that translate to the big leagues? I think the answer is yes. Is he going to be your starting first baseman? Well, of course not. You're not going to have him start games over uh, Paul Goldschmidt, but if Goldie needs to take a day off, if there's a DH in the national league this year, or if if it's true and he can play a little bit in the outfield, I would be interested in seeing what that looks like for John Nagowski, especially if you're not getting the production that you expect to out of your left fielders.
2: Well, there is something to be said for that, because if the Cardinals are an elite team and they can hang with the Dodgers, Padres, you know, Nationals, Braves, then... What every team's trying to do right now is cut down strikeouts because look at the postseason. The teams that make the most contact tend to go far, right? And if the, if the Cardinals do have a strikeout problem, so if he's part of that solution, he could be part of that solution. He should be part of that solution. I just don't know if there's enough power there where there's an upside where you would say, yeah, we'll kind of live with that.
1: I don't want to hear any of your doubts. <laughs> we just saw the power. He okay, just yeah. hit a homer All earlier right. today. Therefore, and Tanner, it's solved. I believe that we have the audio from this home run. If we could pull that up and we'll get it for you here in just a second. This is the call from my buddy, my co-host for weekdays from 10 to 11 a.m., Danny Mack.
8: And he lifts a high fly ball out to
3: deep left field. It's at the wall and it is gone. Three run shot. He heard you. He says, I'll show you, Dan. I can hit a
1: home run here or there. So he had the same questions That's that you funny. did. Dan must've yeah. been talking about how he doesn't have a ton of power.
2: Yeah. I He's mean, showing it's, it a, to it's you. not a profile. You see him. I find him a really interesting player too, man. Like not a profile you see from a first baseman very often, high batting average, low power. Um, so, you know, he, it'll be interesting i think i i like him as a guy to make i like both those guys as contributors i i hope they get chances
1: six five seven eight oh is the air comfort service text line for more likely to happen more likely to start more likely to happen this year daniel ponce de leon starts at least 10 games or the Cardinals sign jake odorizzi ponce i have, starts at least 10 games or the Cardinals sign jake odorizzi
2: i have no doubt Ponce de Leon, if he stays healthy, will make 10 starts for this. Team. Really? I just think that they will, yeah, because I think, well, look, we've already, we're already talking about Miles Michaelis being doubtful for, so there could be three right there, three or four. Who knows how long he's out for. So I think Ponce is almost a shoe in to make 10 starts. Odorizzi, I mean, we don't know all of his wants and desires. Maybe his wife is from, you know, Cincinnati. He's dying to go he's there. He's from here, though. He is from here. So that would seem to help. He's familiar with this region and, Good pitcher. I You know, I, I think they should throw their hat in that mix. I just think I'll go with the guy who's already on the team.
7: I agree. I think it's going to be Ponce. I don't see them spending any more this season, especially if we just had Jim Duquette on. He said, what was it, 12 to $15 million yeah. for just a one-year deal? I don't know if the Cardinals would do that, but granted, they, they've surprised me already this offseason, so maybe they will, but I think Ponce on the roster Michaelis with the question marks. I think he's more likely to get 10 starts.
1: I agree with you guys. We're all in agreement here. That's no fun. I don't think the Cardinals are going to sign Jake Rizzi I will say this, though. If it ends up being a one year, $12 million contract for him, that's something that I would recommend that they do. Right. Even if you do end up getting Miles Michaelis back, that provides some real depth in your rotation. I know, Tanner, you've been talking all along how you don't think they have a legit number two starter. Jake Odorizzi could be that, especially when it comes to the innings. He can give you 180 innings this year pretty easily, especially on a one-year deal where he's trying to prove himself.
7: Yeah, even though I say that I think it's more likely Ponce gets 10, that does not mean that I would not be... In, I signing, motor easy. Yeah, I would love to see them yeah, go I mean, out and get another starter.
2: They might need Ponce to take 10 starts for Carlos Martinez. I mean, if they have no plan for Carlos's shoulder starting to bark again, given that it's happened three years in a row, then they're just not doing their jobs. So and I think they are doing their job. So they're they need to have some depth for those guys.
1: More likely to happen this year. Jack Flaherty wins the Cy Young or Nolan Arenado wins the MVP. Mm. Flaherty for Cy Young, Nolan Arenado for MVP. Spicy. By the way, I was thinking about this a little bit ago as we were uh, talking to Jim Duquette. How many teams in baseball realistically have a Cy Young candidate, MVP candidate, and a rookie of the year candidate? Because mm. the, the Cardinals have all three. Now, there is discussions as to where they belong in those races, but... Carlson's going to be among the leaders this year for rookie of the year. Arenado is at least a top 10, 12 candidate in the national league for uh, MVP. I think you could say the same thing for Jack Flaherty, but more likely to happen. Flaherty wins Cy Young or Nolan Arenado wins MVP this year.
2: I would go Flaherty wins Cy Young because I think that he is sort of more at the, at the early part of his prime versus getting toward the end of his prime. I think everyone sees the stuff um, you know if you him and Walker Bueller are the two best kind of young guys out there I think so I, I everyone says about Jack Flaherty's gonna win a Cy Young at some point why not now um, Arnauto perfectly possible but again you've got adjustment to a new organization a new area totally different ballpark to hit in different divisions so I, I would go Jack
7: I'm gonna say Jack too I, I think it's gonna be harder for Arnauto to win the MVP Because, I mean, I look around the National League and there are a lot of really good hitters. Pitching, there's good pitchers, don't get me wrong, but I don't, I would, just popping into my head when I first thought of this, I can't think, uh, I think of more hitters than I do pitchers for Cy Young. So I will say Jack Flaherty for Cy Young.
1: I'm going to go Nolan Arenado for MVP. There are some really good pitchers right now in the National League. I mean, really good pitchers in the National League. That's not to suggest there aren't also really good players. There's a guy at San Diego that's pretty darn good. That's probably going to get a whole lot of buzz if he does anything this year. Yeah, Manny Machado. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the one. Eric Cosmer as well. Um, Fernando Tatis Jr. is going to be tough to beat if he ends up having a really good season because yeah, or there's Juan gonna Soto. Be, yeah, now yeah. Juan Soto as well. But there's the reason why I say Fernando Tatis is just because there's so much buzz already around him. Right. You know how this works with writers who are voting on this award. If there ends up being a narrative of this guy is the next face of baseball, and even if it's close, if it's close between Arenado and Tatis, and Tatis has led the uh, Padres to first place in in the West you're probably going to lean more that way just because it's it's the best story that you could possibly have this year in baseball.
2: Right. I think nowadays, honestly, it's probably 95% numbers, whoever has the best numbers, and they're they're looking at the right numbers for yep. the most part now. Um, but, yeah, sure. I mean, if one team makes the playoffs, there is that, you know, it says on the ballot, it's value to the team, value to the league. you right. So if – you know, let's say the nationals have a lousy year and Soto has an incredible year. You're going to go, okay, what was the value in that? They would, they, if he hadn't done what he did, they would have been fifth place and they ended up in fourth place. Yeah. Congratulations. So um, yeah, that's a, that's a real thing with
1: Mark Saxon and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley coming up next. We're going to catch up with the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber ahead of tonight's matchup against the ducks. Can they finally, finally get a winning streak going? We'll talk about it with Kerbs coming up next on one-on-one ESPN. This is the BK
3: and Ferrario Podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
1: with mark saxon who's filling in for alex ferrario i'm brandon Kylie. right now let's go out to the brown and crouppen celebrity line happy to be joined by the voice of the blues chris kerber joining us here on the show kerbs thanks so much for the time man how you doing today
8: brandon i'm doing good uh Hey Mark, do me a favor. Make sure that these spring training
2: rules this year don't stick. I, I like to see full innings played. Okay. I have so little influence, Curbs. <laughs> you have no idea, but to the extent oh. I can, I can help. That I will.
1: Curbs. Earlier today, the Cardinals took KK out of the game. They put in a reliever, and then in the next inning, KK came back into the game. Like I, I guess I prefer that over just ending the inning. But it, I, it's so hard to even figure out what's going on in these games at this point.
8: Well, I I like to think that we're still dealing with situations related to COVID and and, and things like that, just in terms of protocols. Having said that, uh, look, if if you have players that aren't ready to start playing the game the way the game needs to be played, then start games a little bit later and things. I'm not, uh, I, I don't, I mean, I understand, look, I understand a lot of the reasonings. I really do. I understand injuries. I understand situational. I understand how it can be helpful, right? But... I'm not I don't know, the, the realist or the purest in me, even looking at this one, I've come to accept the DH. This one makes I I, I don't have any hair to pull out on this one. Yeah, it's, I really
2: don't like when they end the game after seven innings. I mean, they bought a ticket for a nine inning game, they might want to see it might be the the, the you know, family of some kid who's gonna get into the game in the ninth inning who's a triple A guy. I mean, it's it's just kinda of not fair to the fans.
8: Yeah, I don't uh yeah, the 7-anything, the too, again, I understand COVID and doubleheader and tightness of schedule, all that, but in spring training, nah, play it. like. Again, I'm just hoping that this is all part of the anomaly of the world we're living in and doesn't become reality.
1: Well, Curbs, the nice thing is we've got a Blues game going on tonight to be able to take our attention to that. People will be able to hear pregame coverage with myself coming up at 7.30. You've got this week in hockey from 6 to 7.30, and then puck drop coming up at 8.30. Blues have won two in a row. This has been the bugaboo all season is them trying to figure out the way to uh, win the second game of those back-to-backs. They did it against Anaheim earlier this season. Curbs, in your opinion, what's the key for them to be able to do it again this time around?
8: Yeah, Brandon, I talked to Craig Berube earlier today, and for him when I asked that same exact question, not so much related to the game two, he took it down the road of the game twos, but he just talked about the start. He said, we've got to come out with energy at the start. We've got to take the game to them in the, at, at the start of this game. So something that, you know, the Blues, I think it's now, oh, they were 7-7, seven and seven, so I we're, I think it's about 16 times now the St. Louis Blues have actually allowed the first goal of the game. We're not making a whole lot of money for the Greater St. Louis Honor Flight Program mm-hmm. through First Bank on this deal this year. They donate 112 bucks every time the Blues score first, and uh, the other teams scoring first a lot. And so to me... He's absolutely right the, the the start of the game has to be there the the players on this team, especially the, the the newer ones the younger ones have to realize that you have no room for error right now. you really don't you don't have room to chase the game like you did against San Jose that's that's not normal um, you know you don't have room to give up a couple of goals in a period and hope to hang on so I, I think that the mental focus and the start of the game is just going to be critical for that front.
2: Kerbs, what do you make of the uptick uh, on the power play from Monday night? Was was it something real or was it just sort of, um, you know, the struggles obviously coming in? And people had been talking about that. What, what do you think they did differently on the power play, and do you think that's something they can learn from?
8: Well, you know, we saw something, and I, I couldn't quite confirm. And it, it's as you know, Mark, as to, to trying to cover teams right when we can't get in there to cover them, right. this, uh, creates quite challenges, but. You know, we saw something on that first power play where Ryan O'Reilly was actually the top guy at the blue line on the umbrella. And to me, that makes a lot of sense. He's probably the best passer on the team right now. So I like the fact that with him up there, David Perron was on the left and Braden Shen was on the right because it put both Perron and Shen in a one-timer position. The the Anaheim Ducks had to defend against the one-timer. And when those guys are reversed and they're, You've got the right-handed shot on the right side. It just makes it that much tougher to get those shots away. Now, it works for Perron a little bit because he'll take the puck to the top of the circle. So by changing his angle, he's made his his shot, even though it's not a one-timer, he's made his shot very dangerous and has scored plenty of goals that way because he's got that skill. But, I don't, but, but long-term success that way I, I don't think is there. So we'll see how that part happens uh, today with Ryan O'Reilly there. The other thing is you just have to shoot it. I mean, you, you've just got to keep shooting the puck. It's, I, and, man, I know it just sounds overly simple. And, and Craig Berube's philosophy, which, let's face it, has been successful in most situations, is they don't like to just waste shots. Well, I think sometimes on the power play, you've got to waste shots and just get to the front of the net and look for junk. Voice I mean, look, well, look at how the, even though sorry, Brandon. Look, even though it wasn't a power play goal, look at how Dakota jo- Joshua scored his first NHL yeah. goal in that last game. Just drove the net and it went off a shin. That's how you've got to do it on the power play sometimes.
1: Voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Kerbs, one guy that I want to be able to highlight for how he's played recently is Marco Scandella. I I think you can make a strong argument. His last two games have been his two best games in a Blues uniform. What have you seen from him? I mean, playing 48 minutes combined in those two games, it, it, it's amazing the workload that he's taken over, especially with Colton Pareko being out of the lineup right now.
8: Yeah, and, you know, he, he sat for a game. He dealt with some injuries at the beginning of the season His while his weren't as severe as the others. So I think part of what we're seeing is a healthy player. He got nicked up real early on and tried to battle through it He eventually had to sit out of the lineup. So amazing what we see, isn't it, when we when we get healthy players? So on top Dude, of that, my just, he, well, I know oh, that's true. This season, you might be right. But my goodness, have we just seen, uh, have we seen toughness out of him? I mean. I know the teeth are false, but, uh, but he still got cut up and two teeth, you know, the false teeth knocked out. I'm, I'm sure that's not comfortable no matter what. And, uh, I mean, I, like you still have to laugh. I mean, don't you sometimes have, when, when hockey players are looking around the ice for a guy's teeth, it's absurd. I mean, that is just something Curbs. so unique in sports.
1: My fiance literally looked over at me and said, why are they looking? What are they doing right now? I said, they're trying to find his teeth. And she said, excuse me, why is he playing right now?
8: Oh, I mean, like, isn't that great? That's just awesome. And and he didn't miss a shift. He didn't miss a shift. You know, so um, I think it's just toughness. and, And Marco Scandella knows what this team needs. Look, he's been through the ups and downs in Minnesota. He was glad to come back to the Central Division down that trade from Montreal. I mean, now I know we're in the West, but he was glad to come back to the Midwest here in this case. And and he's delivering what the Blues uh, needed him to deliver. He's delivering what we saw in 11 games he played with Colton Pareko after the trade that earned him the contract extension, and they need him to play at that level. It helps take the load off the other guys.
2: Curbs, a lot of times when a team gets hit with a lot of injuries at the same time, you'll see young guys come up, and in many cases they're really not ready for it, but it's just a need of the team, and so they have to play as well as they can. With this young group who's come up and filled in for some of these guys, and you mentioned Joshua earlier, Which of this group do you think long-term will really have an impact on the organization versus just a guy who can fill in if you've got an injury?
8: Man, that's a great question that I don't know that we have the answer to because I think, Mark, you have to separate the guys that we already know. For example, I think you have to separate the Blaze, the Sanfords, and those guys out of this because they've been here long enough that I I think you're probably starting to see, I love Doug Armstrong's quote on this, you're probably starting to see that there's not much space between their floor and their ceiling, Mm -hmm. right? When you talk about a prospect, you come in, you hope they've got a lot more, and as you watch over three years in a certain number of games, maybe there is more, but at least the gap of what you're seeing, you don't expect it to be that variant. In terms of these new guys, Walker's a little bit, you know, Walker, I think, is, is going to be that perennial filling guy, and, and I don't know how maybe one more team coming into the league with, with Seattle could impact that. Dakota Joshua becomes a real interesting one for me because if a guy like a Barbashev and if a guy like Sundquist can move up the lineup, and you want them to, I mean, hopefully they do, and there's a chance Barbashev is taken in the expansion draft if the Blues were to decide to leave him un, unprotected, right? Um, and there's no doubt he'd be in that discussion. But if those guys move up the lineup as you would hope they do, and you need that to happen because you just can't pay every top player, top dollar in a cap era, a guy like Joshua that can come in and he played a really steady, solid, smart, heady game that last game. If he's able to do that, he gives you some security on that fourth line. And, uh, and, and that's where you impact it. Now, uh, as far as the other guys, I don't know where they've got a whole lot of skill coming uh, up on the front, which, which puts, you know, the signing of Jaden Schwartz right in the crosshairs there. Cause he's, he'll be an unrestricted free agent. You know, does Clem Costin make a big jump? Who knows? I don't, it doesn't look like we're going to get a chance to see him anytime soon because his team could even go as far as winning the Gagarin cup over in Russia and Toribchenko, uh, who, when his season's done in the KHL is going to go to Utica. He's a guy that, uh, that, You know, I don't know where they sit, third-line, fourth-line guys. So right now, I guess long-winded way of saying I don't see a whole lot of extra help, at least from a a high-end skill standpoint, top-nine standpoint, than what you've already got.
1: Last thing for you, Curbs, and we'll get you out of here. What's the latest on Vladimir Tarasenko? You knew that we couldn't get you out of here without asking.
8: Yeah, no, and well, it's a fair question now because we're getting closer to to him coming back in. You know, March 6th, which I believe is what, Saturday? That's going to be his sixth month anniversary of the surgery. So um whether it is the first game or the second game in LA, I, I'd look for him to be maybe, could, could it be the first game in LA? Maybe. But I, I think Vladimir Tarasenko, he will not be in the lineup tonight. The blues are going to go with the same exact lineup tonight. Um, You know, it, it looks like, except I do think there's a chance Bennington's in goal. We'll, we'll confirm that a little closer to game time, but it looks like that's going to be the case. Um And, and I, I would say that, uh, um that that i'd be looking at maybe the second game. i'd love to see him that first game in la but maybe the second game in la and and then that first game in uh san jose looking, or, well
1: looking forward to seeing him in san jose and looking forward to yeah, talking well, with
8: you again tonight curbs yeah well, glad to have glad to have you on the show tonight there uh brandon mark always great to uh, to talk with you as well look forward to seeing you in the studio one of these days and uh have a great rest of the day, guys. Another late-night hockey, so uh, get some rest.
1: Got to love it. Sounds That's great. Chris Kerber, Voice of the Blues, joining us here on 101 ESPN. We'll cross things over with the fast lane coming up next. This is the
3: BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Time now for the crossover. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Close to home or close to work. For quality tires and expert auto service, you can always count on Dobbs.
1: He's been filling in today for Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kiley. Tanner Hendrickson's done a fantastic job producing for us today. If you missed anything from the show, be sure to check it out over on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app where we are doing app madness. You got some giveaways over there right now, $500 in cash, Traeger grill and smoker, taylor made golf bag, a rolling cooler. What more could you ask for? It's all over on the 101 ESPN app. Make sure that you sign up over there. Anthony Stalter in studio to cross things over. How you doing, man? I'm.
4: I think I'm doing better. First of all, it's good to see saxy I love. I love my guy Mark Saxon. So always good to chat with with him. But I'm. I'm a little concerned about you. Are you ready? Are you ready to
1: embark on blues pre intermission and post? I'll be fine. We um, talked before the show. He was a little nervous. He seems nervous now. Yeah. So the problem is, I came down with a little <laughs> bit of a cold last night, boys. Uh-oh. Uh oh. I think I got the man cold, and that that could be going better. Doing f- three hours of radio here, then doing another uh, three whatever hours of radio later. My voice might give out by tomorrow, but that's all right. All that I've got after that is Friday night's game, and then Saturday night's game, and possibly Monday night's game. So it's, it's gonna be great.
2: Some construction worker right now is driving around, going, "This guy's complaining <laughs> yeah. about talking no on the radio." Listen, first world problems. I, I'm certainly <laughs> Some the
4: last one. that's roofer during use. the summer is like <laughs> really. Get up on the damn roof at degrees. And I'm exactly. mixing
1: concrete out yeah, here, and BK's complaining about his voice hurting him. Yeah, I get but, it. I but get that
4: does—I mean, there's it It does suck. There's nothing you can do about it. I, I, I had an opportunity to host the Levitard show on New Year's Ooh. last I remember that. year. Not this past year, but last year. And after doing, you know, four-hour shows with, you know, here, mm. and then doing a five-hour show on Sunday night in Bristol— I did our show on Monday. So, one on one show on Monday. I was doing middays then. And then the Levitard show was Wednesday. I started to lose my voice on Monday. Oh. I was able to take the day off Tuesday, hoping that it would come back. The Levitard show, it was a disaster. Like, I, I couldn't talk. You sound I think there's nothing you do. basically there's not there's nothing you do. So hopefully it holds I've up I've got for my
1: you. fingers crossed that I'm going to be fine. It it held up pretty well here today. So fingers crossed that it ends up being that way tonight for pregame. You can hear that at 7:30. Let's see how much of a disaster I am. Uh, we'll find out together. It'll Herbal be, tea. be my my, tea. my maiden voyage on the pre-post and intermission hosting. Um, I promise it will be only for a week. Alex Ferrario will be back with you guys next week. He will take good care of you. But he had a beautiful baby girl last night. She was born safely. She is healthy. The mother is healthy as well. So huge congrats to them for that. Absolutely. Um, Wonderful. I will be filling in in the meantime. Stoltz, what's coming up today on the fast lane, my man?
4: Well, we'll have a lot of uh, blues. So we'll dive into a little bit of Terrascano. Some of the comments that Craig Ruby made. So we're looking forward to that. We'll have another three three big questions for the Cardinals. I love that Gold. segment, by the way. Oh, BT's awesome Thanks. in that one. He, yeah, he, he's he's the fantastic. The analysis is amazing. Yeah, it's it's fun too because it's a little bit it's a little bit different of a, of an approach, and he gets to kind of break break it down and what's the pivotal questions for his that breakdown of Cardinals.
1: John Gant's curveball yesterday was incredible. Mm. It, like the Vulcan being able, change. To, it's it's awesome, yeah. man. He he does stuff that I couldn't even
2: imagine.
4: You you've done a didn't didn't you do a breakdown of that the Vulcan change? I did change? do
2: a thing on the Vulcan change. I just love the idea of it. It's like nanu nanu, you know, like the, It's just cool. So the way it worked. Instead of throwing between your index finger and your middle finger, it's the middle finger and the other one. Right. So, it's you got to first of all, you have to have massive, long fingers to do it, yeah. but it's really effective. And a ton of guys try to learn the grip and just can't do it. Yeah, I, I I couldn't do it. Well,
1: yeah. Obviously, well, certainly not me. Yeah,
4: but no, the, thank you. So we'll yeah we'll we'll do obviously Cardinals and Blues and maybe a little little bit of NFL.
1: Looking forward to that. That's coming up from two to six. We'll be back tomorrow at eleven. Jeremy Rutherford back in tomorrow. We've got a jam packed show of guests. Doug Armstrong will be on the show right off the bat. He'll be on with us tomorrow at eleven o'clock. So looking forward to that. The fast
3: lane's coming up next. Mmm. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast powered by I Promise. Science
1: proves quality sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. The Sleep Number 360 smart bed senses your movements and automatically adjusts to help keep you both effortlessly comfortable. And it's temperature balancing, so you stay cool. So you're at your best for yourself and those you care about most. Life-changing sleep, only from Sleep Number. It's our ultimate Sleep Number event. Save 50% on the Sleep Number 360 limited edition smart bed plus special financing, only for a limited time. Special financing subject to credit approval. Minimum monthly payments required. See store for details.